chosen to tune in to DLC. This is it. I gotta stop right here and say, it's time to vote, people. Get out there and vote. Geeks who speak, gamers with a voice, we need our voice to be heard too. It is imperative that we band together and make our voice heard this November 8th. If you are an American, do it. Get out there, vote. It's simple, it's easy. It takes very little time. You gotta do it. Be a geek who speaks. But now it's time for DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free, thanks to our sponsor this week, Linode. Linode's bringing the show to you, making it possible to show, of course, all about games. In their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who not only button mashes, but he also does the monster mash, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello. I will be talking like this all episodes. Spooky Uh, scary. (laughs) Halloween, Christian. Yes. Happy Halloween. We dropped our family Halloween picture. It is on social media. You can find it. We've been doing dorky stuff as a family for, I think this is year four now. This year is Zootopia. It is live. We have to take the picture early because I have a one and a half year old, so it's like a million takes. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, we, look at the camera. Look at the camera. Yeah, uh, you are one and a half. You know words. You know words. Um, but happy Halloween. Happy to be here. It's going, I, I have a feeling we're going to be doing some gushing. This, yes, this there's going to be some gushing. It is that time of year. Also, I want to just say, your pictures are always awesome, but this is a particularly good one. So if you haven't checked out Christian's uh, Halloween family picture, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm also very proud of my son, Jack, who is uh, eight weeks old today. Uh, we, uh, you got to check my Twitter and see. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's little Mario. For, oh, I thought he was going to be an O-Lantern. He's always an O-Lantern, but he's... Uh, <laughs> He's uh, going to be little Mario this year, and uh, I, I think we did a pretty good job with, with that costume, too. So check those out. Dude, Jack's um, the best. We, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we have a big, big show. Lots of really cool games. As you said, some gushing, some awesome news to talk about, and we have a fantastic guest, a first-timer. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, man, I'm excited because DLC stands for devising lots of cool games Because from Polygon.com and the ingenious Cool Games, Inc. podcast, we've got Nick Robinson joining us for the first time. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, that's so sweet. All these kind words about our our stupid, stupid podcast. It's great, man. I dig it. It's really fun. You and Griffin McElroy uh, coming up with uh, wonderfully silly uh, concepts for games. Yeah, I think... Coming up with is, is maybe generous. The way that show works is it's it's all like user-submitted ideas for games. Right. So really what that show is is us taking advantage of our extremely generous and clever fan base and, <laughs> and sort of making it seem like we're the we're the funny ones. So it's, I don't a, know. it's a very easy to record. I mean, Nick, I saw the trailer for the podcast at E3 2013 and the mm-hmm. actual podcast that you guys have delivered. I don't know. It's one it is Jurassic compare. Park and the other is Jurassic Park on a kazoo. Right. <laughs> What's the like buzzword for – there's this really like catchy – buzzword for screenshots that are faked what is it oh bullshots Bullshot, bullshots yeah. that's so oh i love that someone really <laughs> sat down with like a whiteboard and came up with like the most <laughs> yeah. elaborate goofy version of that <laughs> um but yeah thank you for having me I'm, I'm super excited i i i've looked sort of over like our 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 info and it seems like we've been playing a lot of the same stuff this week so there's going to be a lot of like you said a lot of gushing awesome uh, well let's get right to it let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week Story of the week. 
week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, which is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks there hanging out, submitting stories, talking about the episodes. Check it out. Um, Nick, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Which of these do you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, I'm in complete Nintendo Switch mode right now. Like, yeah. completely head over heels, uh, thinking about it all the time. Um, so I, I think I want to go with the, the story about multi-touch. Um, yeah. Well, we speculated last week about whether it would have multi-touch or not when we talked about the, the reveal. Because yeah. at no point in that video does anybody touch that screen. Right. Uh, and I've I've done a lot of thinking about that trailer specifically because it feels like um, they really, really, really wanted to make the least confusing video possible about that thing, right? <laughs> like they, they wanted to every feature that is not absolutely essential to the switching aspect. They did Nintendo, believe it or not, has not had an awesome decade for great messaging to consumers between everyone I've ever met. Yeah, I know it's. <laughs> Bold claim. Like, every single person I've ever met who's not in this industry thinking the Wii U is a controller for the Wii, like, right. that's maybe not the best. So it, it seems like they're trying to make a thing that is a little clearer uh, just in every way. And and part of that, I think, was, like, leaving out stuff like motion controls and touch controls and just being like, okay, this is the Switch. Here's the reason it's called that. That's all we're going to tell you until next year. Have a good Christmas. Like, um, and, and so, yeah, it, it totally makes sense to me that they would leave the touch thing out. Um, I think the, the, the so the, the rumor, right, that, that keeps circulating is that, like, virtually every piece of information that has sort of leaked out about the Switch ahead of time has basically been proven true. And part of that, that dev kit-based information is that there's a, a multi-touch uh, it's like 720p touchscreen on the thing, right? So it supports up to 10 fingers. This is Nintendo's first capacitive touchscreen. Uh, all their previous things have used a single touch, like single point of touch thing. This one would actually use your your fingers, presumably. Um, and which which also is interesting because like not only did we not see a touchscreen in that thing, I don't think we saw a stylus uh, anywhere in there either. Um, which raises a lot of questions. But yeah, I don't know. Like I, this system seems not very touch friendly on its face because nintendo keeps every, every time anyone asks them like who what is this is this a handheld is this a console thing they're like this is a home game system that you can take with you right so it seems like their use case is more than half the time it'll probably be docked which means you're not touching that screen so like what i mean what do you think do you think they make a game that uses that touch screen as a as a major feature if if they need to constantly be worried about that thing being docked in your television set well i th- for me i think the the touch interface is built so the thing can play a wide range of games made for mobile you Mm. know that like they can have ports they can have uh they can they can do the games that you traditionally see on on phones and you're like hey we can make we have those too we can put those on you can port those games we can have mario run uh on this thing yeah cool um but I think, as you said, it's not really for that. It's more for navigation. I mm-hmm. think the touchscreen is going to be, you know, touch here to, uh, you know, start Netflix on your handheld or whatever. I think they're going to be using the touch mostly for menus and, and navigation rather than for games. Yeah, I, I feel like like the whole thing, the whole promise, even before we knew what this thing was called, even when it was the NX, like the promise of this thing has been, hey, 
what if there was one thing that had all of Nintendo's games on it, right? Like right. Nintendo has quietly behind the scenes been uh, combining their they, they they generally sort of separated their internal studios into handheld and console divisions, and they've been over the past like year or two merging those together into one enormous team to make just Nintendo games. Um, and the, I think part of the promise of every Nintendo game being in one place has to include their iOS stuff, right? Like you said, like Mario Run, that that should be playable on my NX if this is the Nintendo box uh, from here on out. Right. Yeah, it's, it would be weird if we have a handheld, but you can't play that mobile game that we made. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to be the guy that disagrees. Okay. Uh, right. Mario Run specifically was meant to be played vertically with one hand while your other hand does a host of eating. All they showed is that you could eat or hold on to a, a, a railing. And yeah. this Nintendo Switch screen, it looks like it's about the size of an iPad mini. You're not holding <laughs> that thing vertically comfortably with one hand and playing Mario Run. I don't think it's going to have a cellular function, so I don't think you're going to be out there, or GPS. I don't think you're going to be out there playing Pokemon Go. I think, Jeff, what I agree with you, so I disagree with your, the first half of your assertion that mobile games will get ported to this. I do think that you will use, it will have touch, and it will be used for Netflix, um, some version of Miyoto, not the mobile game, but like, you know, designing a dumb uh, me or, you know, whatever, something like that, that kind of thing. Creating your amiibo or an amiibo, golly, all these Nintendo terms. Uh, me, your me, yeah, yeah, thank you, um, and stuff like that. And then the rumor that I had seen floating around is that one of the Joy Cons uh, has an IR blaster in it. So when it's docked, you can still kind of a la Wiimote point to navigate through menus. Which makes sense to me, but then is a little concerning in the sense that I don't know where this thing... I guess IR doesn't need to be direct, direct line of sight, but like I don't know if I'm tucking this, my, my base station. But I don't, I don't think I'm going to boldly predict right now that I do not think this is going to be a, a mobile game port uh, touchscreen for gaming. Mostly because I think, Nick, I agree with you in that. I don't know how you I can have a game that has a lot of reliance on that and then you can't do it half the time or right whatever. yeah and, and it almost i think some people might be like well then why is it a a 10 point touch screen i i don't know anything about how manufacturing screens works but i would venture to guess that like there has never been a time in human history where buying and making a touch screen has been easier than in 2016 in a world <laughs> where like there are tablets everywhere there are phablets everywhere like uh, touch screens are so like prevalent that I, I can't imagine it's that much more expensive and and i mean nintendo's approach with with handheld and console design has always been like everything but the kitchen sink like let's put a gyroscope in the 3ds that two games use and it'll be there in every single 3ds and never get used just in case like <laughs> i could totally see them just using the touchscreen. It, it might just be for menu stuff i i hope the ir blaster stuff isn't true because i just don't want to have a sensor bar in my living room ever again i hate yeah. the sensor bar so much just having that long super skinny gray cable running behind my tv and having to find it whenever i want to move my system i just it's well, it's inaccurate it's not there's a good something solution. super annoying about that cable how, is. how tiny it is is just really annoying the, the rumor is it's like that's the reason the top of the switch pokes out of the dock is that that's your camera that's the tracking but then mm -hmm. i feel like i guess the dock needs to be accessible because if you're popping this thing in and out, but like m my wife and I are more annoyed about having consoles. Like I have a pretty clean console table, right? With like my TV and everything kind of tucked away. 
and Nintendo's going to make me put this thing in the middle of my room, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a... This generation, for all the things that have been great about it, has not been awesome if you're the type of person who wants a clean TV. Because theoretically, <laughs> if you have everything, you've got a, a the PlayStation Eye camera on top of your TV, a Kinect also on top, but probably below your TV, and then a sensor bar just, like, taped next to that somewhere. That's um, me. That's yeah. just it's, my living room. And then a PlayStation <laughs> VR headset with its yeah. little breakout box, oh, like, my God. tripping my, you and your pets. My roommate, like... Like, hates seeing cables coming out of the TV. So when I when I came home with the PSVR like <laughs> review unit for the first time, and it's just like this bundle of cables plugged into more cables that have a breakout box that splits off into ten more cables, and each one is labeled like one, two, three, four. He just had a, just a minor meltdown seeing that. Like, there's no, there's almost no good way to to manage that stuff, especially if it has to run to the head of the person playing it. Yeah. Um, Kids these days and their expectation of wireless. When I was a kid, all consoles had wires. It takes all courage, controllers Jeff. had wires. It takes courage. Yeah. Um, one, one last point I want to make about this, uh, and I, I want to strongly, be on the record as strongly disagreeing with you, Christian, my prediction is that not every game on Switch will work in all functions of Switch. I, oh what I mean God. to say is, I hope you're wrong, but I, Nintendo says you're right. There, there's going to be a <laughs> there are going to be a bunch of games that you can only play undocked. No, right? God, I bet you, I bet you that's the way it's going to work, dude. That it's like, oh, this is a mobile game that uses the touchscreen, and you can play it and on the go. But when you plug it into the dock, no, it doesn't work that way. No, I think yeah, I, but there's dude the the number of ways that Switch is all has already been shown to work. You can't have every game support everything, right? Some some games you can like break off the controllers and use one for each player, and some games you can you know you attach them and put it on the back of the headset of your car. It, it, it's like there's no way. It's just they're they're throwing this broad blanket, and they and other developers are just going to pick and choose which of those features to support. And I think it's going to be catch as catch can. It just can do all of that stuff. Well, I hope you're wrong, and I hope that this is like your bold prediction of when they announced the new 3DS. You said that like in a year or whatever it was, there would be a lot of games that require the new 3DS, and I was like, no way. Uh, and you were wrong there. I hope you are wrong there, and I hope this is not your accurate prediction of what the NX was going to be, because you nailed that one. But I'm hoping I'm hoping this puts you uh, batting uh, 300 for Nintendo speculation, because what? Like Nick nailed it on top of the head, like what, the, what they were doing with their trailer. Uh, they want to simplify this thing. We, this can't be... Please tell me this isn't a Wii U again where it's like, better have this controller and this controller better be plugged into your butt or else it's not going to work. <laughs> it's so it's so weird. I, I'm i so torn too because on the one hand, like I think every Nintendo... There's been a small section of Nintendo fans, including me, who every console announcement, every handheld announcement, there's been a part of me that's been like, can they just make like a really powerful Game Boy Advance? Like, throw out the <laughs> touchscreen, throw out everything else. Like, just make something with buttons and analog sticks and triggers and just focus on like classic Nintendo game design like the thing that they're really really good at and this is that and it's one of those be careful what you wish for things because like again i i don't want touchscreen exclusive games that require the NX, or the the NX the switch to be undocked um but also like i care about picross a lot and i care about <laughs> picross 3D a lot and i don't know what happens to like the touchscreen center also like not to get totally off the rails but I don't want to play Picross on a capacitive screen with my fingers. That's just, I need a stylus for that. I need like a, maybe if I get one of those, the, like the Apple Pencil or something, <laughs> yeah, I could I use it say, on the Theoretically, Switch. yeah, any of those, there's a bunch of, you know, third-party things that could solve that problem for you. Yeah. 
Um, but we will find out more January 12th, 2017, when Nintendo will reveal more about Switch. Uh, so stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Well, just quickly, I'm glad Nintendo did announce a date for that because that speculation machine was crazy, and I'm glad. It, it could have been classic Nintendo that they don't say anything, and I'm glad <clears> they said at least we know and we're going to hear something. So Yeah, yeah, that was cool. It was actually uncharacteristically straightforward because I think where that originally came from was there was the investor call where they were like, we're not going to talk more about NX features until uh, 2017. And people started to run with that story, and it was it was uncharacteristically progressive Nintendo to be like, let's just make that official. Like, if we're saying that in our Japanese investors' calls, there's no reason. Like, the fans <laughs> are going to find out anyway. Let's just say, hey, straight up, we're we're not talking about this till next year, so hang tight. It's cool that we have a date to, to kind of look forward to as well. Yeah. I need to mention in the chat, uh, Lentao Knox said, the Switch stylus has to be called Nintendo. <laughs> oh, no. That's pretty great. <laughs> it is very great. It'll probably be called the Joy-Con stylus, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the Joy-Con stylus controller. Um, so, Jeff, I'm, I'm pulling a you. Well, I think these two link, and part of it is conspiracy theory me, and part of it is they're both about VR. Um, so Microsoft had their... Um, Oh God! What they call it? Well, their tech conference um, this past week, and part of that is they showed third-party developed price point starting at two ninety-nine VR headsets, and it's a HP, Lenovo, Dell, Acer, and Asus would be shipping Asus. VR. Asus. Asus. Sorry, I once did a job for them, and they all were very adamant that it's pronounced Asus. Well, they should maybe spell it differently. No, that yeah, is my that is my fault. Um, I will, uh, I apologize. Um, but that also, I think, to some extent, this is now put on your tinfoil hats. Oculus remains in legal trouble, and Zenimax has come out firing when they amended their complaint, whatever that was, six months ago, where it basically just became an Us Weekly tabloid article where they were like, uh uh-uh, uh, Palmer Lucky is a dum dum, and he didn't even do this, and he stole this, and this, he's really stupid. Here's 10 examples of how he's stupid. And I was just like, this is an official court filing? <laughs> Ooh, you bad. Um, <laughs> anyway, that just humored me as a former attorney. <laughs> um, uh, and now that, that legal trouble is continuing. Where the VR, uh, sorry, Oculus representatives might have lied under oath uh, when they were within that federal lawsuit against Zenimax, and the court, the judges appointed ordered a court-appointed computer forensic expert to detail Zenimax's findings, and so they think they discovered stuff on John Carmack's computer that shows the statements and representations have been sworn to. Are before and are before the court are factually inaccurate. So my tinfoil. Where are hat- the emails? Show us the emails. <laughs> yeah, seriously, John Carmack's emails. <laughs> my tinfoil hat moment is Microsoft was hip to this in some form or fashion, or they're uncomfortable in some way with what's happening with Oculus, whether it's Palmer Lucky before or the Zenimax filing. And I think Microsoft is trying to distance themselves from this Oculus partnership so that they're prepared when Scorpio comes out. If they want to go VR, if VR still exists, they have other options lined up for their Scorpio headset, which led to this PC 299 announcement. Or... VR is a growth market, and a whole bunch of people want to be involved in it. And Jeff, so. it's not a growth market just because between the two of us, we own five headsets. That just means we're <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You can I, unpack those two, but yeah, the- that's a lot. That's a lot there. Um, let's start. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this this court thing because 
you're the only former lawyer here. And but uh, Nick, do you have any thoughts about um, Oculus's and and um, John Carmack's potential problems here? Oh, first of all, just the idea of like seizing John Carmack's computer and not just like going through all his text files and finding out what the actual future is like. Like you've got the computer <laughs> yeah. of the world's smartest man in front of you. How about instead of <laughs> subpoenaing him and and trying to look for evidence that he perjured himself let's just like figure out what computers are going to be like in 50 years because he knows and we don't um (laughs) i don't know it's it's so weird the way this does like kind of i'm always so baffled when i see like lawsuits like this because like like christian mentioned they get really weirdly petty and personal like i was i was thinking recently with the red dead 2 announcement about the um the the rockstar lawsuit stuff that was popping off earlier this year mm-hmm. um with with uh the sort of internal strife there and like all these all these people bring into evidence like emails of of people saying we need we need like Benz to come in and and save stuff Benzies um it's it's always feels weird it always feels kind of like I'm seeing something I shouldn't be or that there's this <laughs> element of like weird voyeurism to this where I'm like let me know when this is done I don't want to I don't need to see y'all's like emails it 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 just makes me feel uncomfortable yeah. and also I I feel like that they shouldn't be doing this within 60 days of Oculus Connect right isn't that the FBI's <laughs> rule for <laughs> bring, bring this up unprecedented right unprecedented <laughs> how close it is to oculus connect um i should point out that both of these stories that christian brought up uh, were submitted by users uh this one the legal issue story was submitted by usc mcleod and uh the microsoft vr story was submitted by at Wubiak on twitter uh or Wubak, excuse me um yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're going to have to see how this Oculus thing all shakes out. But it is it is weird that there's so much, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire type deal. And I, I, who knows, man, who knows uh, what what is true or what is not true. I think ultimately a lot of people were working on that tech at the same time. And, you know, part of me is like, well, what's more yeah, likely? But the problem some, is it was... some kid in his basement figured it out or like a giant company called ZeniMax figured it out. Which of those is more likely? Um but I don't know. Yeah, the hard part is a lot of people were working on the tech at the same time. Unfortunately, one of the best people at it was working on it for two companies at yeah, the same time. That really, that really complicates things. Like, yeah. that's, that's always like the fear, right, at any job is that like when you look at your contract when you're starting a job for the first time, there's always this stuff about like proprietary content developed while at the company, right? It's something you, you if you're, especially if you're like a literal inventor, like it appears ocular or like how like it appears lucky was in this situation. It's just, it's, it, I don't know. It feels like one of those things where it's like, you have to know that if this stuff pops off and it, like to hear lucky talk about VR, he's a complete true believer in this being the future. You should I don't know, just make sure your ducks are in a row, I guess, legally from when you're when you're creating the literal future. Yeah, when you, um, when, you when you cash that billion dollar check for your company, maybe you figure it out if you know there's yeah. gonna be any problems and, in the future. And also like when when that happens too, like you need to know that and, and I guess twenty twenty hindsight that people are gonna come for your throat. Like Zenimax has a, a not super uh, clean history of I, I still think back to the the lawsuit about the scrolls name which, yeah. which uh right. like when um what the the minecraft folks were working on their their ccg uh and they came for them saying that you can't call a video game scrolls because elder scrolls exists and like there was kind of a collective uproar for that it, it i don't know that they zenimax is too enormous to care about what the the super hardcore niche 
like vertical slice of gamers who we talk to and talk about and talk with care like about that stuff like they they're not obsessing over their Zenimax's popularity as a company but I I remember that happening and it, it was the first time I thought about Zenimax Media as this enormous terrifying uh, legal entity, and this—I feel like that's why I've been kind of tempted to give Oculus the benefit of the doubt here. It's—it just—I don't know. I still Isn't have kind of a bad taste in my mouth from that. That Oculus, Oculus, which is owned by Facebook, is somehow portrayed, and I agree with you. But they're kind of the Rudy <laughs> in this situation. Totally. <laughs> it's totally—it doesn't make sense at all that the Facebook is somehow the David in this David and Goliath. <laughs> but what, what can you do? Uh, let's talk a little bit about these these VR headsets. Actually. MR headsets, although probably not the best abbreviation to use. Um, Microsoft them, reality? What does that stand no, for? No, mixed reality. <laughs> oh, okay. Because they're, they're, uh, it's pretty exciting from my point of view. I mean, the, these are, I think the next frontier is this um, inside out or outside in. What are they calling it? What is it called? Uh, inside out? Outside in, I believe it outside, does not have I know, a... Inside out tracking. Oh, that's inside a good out. movie, though. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's inside out tracking. So basically the idea is uh, you can put on the headset in any room of the house and it still gives you the six degrees of freedom without having to set up these sensors. So right now, if you have a Vive, you need to set up these two sensors in opposite ends of your room. Yes, it tracks you room scale, but if you leave that room, it doesn't know. It needs those trackers to track you. Same thing with the Oculus, same thing with the PSVR. In order to track you, it has to have a detached camera or set of cameras that can track you through the room. Well, this technology, which is sort of what they've been pioneering with HoloLens, allows all of that tracking to happen inside the form factor of the headset itself. So while all of these are still tethered devices, they are not untethered like the HoloLens has been uh, in, in, in the sense that you have to have a cord attached to a computer, PC. Theoretically, you could have that attached to a laptop PC and you could be anywhere in the world and it would still be fine and it would still know that you're in a place and still be able to sense objects in that place and prevent you from running into them. All really, really cool. And as you said, they're talking about starting the the price of these things at 300 bucks, which is much lower. And, and the PCs that are required to run them are around 500 bucks. So that's much more, much lower uh, price of entry than any of the other uh, big PC headsets right now. I think that's potentially really uh, game changing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that they're talking about is that this mixed reality where it's not a completely virtual space, it's it's incorporating elements of the world around you is really what the future is. So what's your take on this, Nick? Um, it's interesting to me, like we, uh, Oculus Connect 3 just happened, obviously, like uh, earlier this month. And um, one of our editors at Polygon, Ben Kuchera, got to try out um, their sort of their prototype, Santa Cruz, uh, okay. which is that their all-in-one uh, room scale headset that is untethered. That's, I think, the, the main difference between this. It seems to be using the same sort of inside-out tech where it's looking at the room around you for tracking. And uh, the difference with, with this thing is that the computer is on the back of your head and right. um, there's no wires, which seems so cool. It feels so like inevitable and so futuristic to me. I think the, the thing about VR that has felt the least futuristic is the tether. Um, but the, but the inside-out tech, like it's one of those things where I... If it works as well as, as everyone is saying it does, I'm super excited for it. I, I've had kind of a month of less than stellar tracking experiences with PSVR. Um, I, I We'll talk about it when we get to the VR segment, I think. But, like, I've had some pretty nauseating moments of head tracking not working the way you want it to. Yeah. And um, I, I would hope that this, this stuff works well enough that that's not an issue. I'm curious, like, if it's using cameras to position yourself, like... 
I, I, someone smarter than me has absolutely thought about this and figured it out, but how does it deal with, like, for example, if you rapidly turn your head from all the way to the left to all the way to the right quickly, like, how, how does it, I guess it's in conjunction with a gyroscope, it knows which way you're facing, so it can kind of use that to position you, but... Well, that's, um, it requires a lot. Go, what's the term? Um, video warping? You know, like, it's, it's when the frame rate that the camera is shooting the video matches the speed in which something is moving behind you, and it creates the effect. Like, the most common one you see is it looks like rims on a car are going backwards. Um, I can Google it. There's a term for that. Or, like, mm-hmm. if you use a strobe, it can look like water is going up the faucet instead of down, but it's because of... Like, you think the camera's just capturing real life, but it's actually capturing 60 frames a second or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So if you match those two things, you can do these visual tricks that are stunning. There are some incredible YouTube videos out there of it. But I think that's the hard part for, like, fast movement in this inside-out tracking because it's a camera. It's not your eye. So, like, depending on what's happening and what's moving in front of it, like, what it's able – because I, I think that's the, the hard it's, – it's capturing this stuff, processing it, and mixing it in with – the the motion um oh gosh i just blanked on what the term is the gyroscope that's happening and like for all of that to happen in real-time processing for that to happen perfectly i feel like that has to be difficult but that's totally totally the dream right right but like the the idea of like swinging your head from one way to the other like you can do that in probably three five six frames of video video that might be blurry depending on the frame rate that these cameras are uh, like capturing it, not that you're ever going to see what the camera sees, right? But just like my, I guess my concern is like, are these are these cameras going to be able to track really, really rapid, really minor movement? Because like as we all know, like the tiniest motion in VR not translating is enough to be totally sickening and disorienting to a player. Um, it's one of those things where it's like this tech sounds so cool, and I'm 100% reserving judgment until I have it on my face. And like, but I, I'm I am optimistic. If if the smartest VR minds on earth are all excited about uh, inside out tracking, then I I am too. Yeah, and if this translates into a you know a Project Scorpio peripheral, I think that could be really cool. And the idea of it being around three hundred bucks is is pretty uh, I think Isn't pretty it awesome. Funny how they've changed the landscape on. Maybe did we talk about this already. I like pricing. Remember when like the Wii U launched at two ninety nine and everyone was like, oh, too expensive. What? Oh no way! And now it's like, oh, uh, uh, accessory well, for my console. Okay, sorry, but, yeah. but still, it's like oh, a peripheral. That's only $300? I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Well, I guess that's the, the cell phone effect. Um, I think for me, the the more um, pertinent, I don't want to say pertinent, but the, the worrisome issue, I guess, is this idea that it, this is a, yet another SDK that developers have to worry about. And they talked a lot about how uh, it, it should be easy to port stuff that's designed for Vive or Oculus over to Windows Holographic, their, their development sweet which is the best name by the way holographic yeah that's what we want right let's let's all let's put our eyes on the prize people holographic let's do that very future word yeah (laughs) Yeah. um but you know i I think anything that splinters an already nascent um uh, market is a little is a little worrisome to me but i i hope that we find ways to that all of the great stuff that's available on headsets now can be available on pretty much any headset so that you know the the people who are making VR games have a broader base of of users, and it's not narrower because they're you know it's cutting into the pie into more slices. Anyway, the, the, you keep going back to the idea that this could potentially be a a piece of tech that we see on on Xbox One and on Scorpio at some point, and it's really interesting to me that like it, it seems like Sony's strategy uh, lately has been 
get into the these new unprecedented areas as fast as possible, right? Like they're launching VR on on they've launched VR on PS4 before any other major console manufacturer has done it. Uh, the PS Pro or the PS4 Pro will exist very very shortly and seems to be a more marginal increase in power. I almost wonder if like just like Scorpio is is likely to be a much much more powerful thing than the PS4 Pro. I wonder if this headset like I wonder if Microsoft will reap the benefits of sort of sitting on their hands for a little bit and waiting to dip in a console VR uh, because like maybe by the time they get there it'll be slightly cheaper, it'll have better tracking uh, and uh, it, like this inside out thing could be the thing that we were waiting for to for or for the thing that they were waiting for I guess. To, to launch VR on their system. Like, I, I wonder if they were like, no, it's not ready yet. Um, that very well may be the case, you know, because clearly HoloLens, you know, people have ta- have speculated that HoloLens was going to be an Xbox One, like, launch thing that like, was going to be part of the launch. And they, I think, wisely realized it wasn't ready. And um, hopefully that you're, you're what you're saying is true, that they're continuing to be a little more circumspect and figuring out when, when to, you know, dump into that market. You know, new, it was... New, sorry, oh, go ahead. Make, go ahead. Oh, just I just think it's funny that like the only time in my day to day life I ever see the word Hololens in a piece of technology I already own is uh, when I boot up Skype and I go into the Skype settings. There's like a dedicated area for like it's like click here to sync your Hololens with it, and I'm like, does every Skype user really need access to that feature for like right. the, the 103 owners? Yet, of I can't record my call. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It's so funny too that that like at their conference they're like we've been shipping Hololens for X number of months now, and it's like. Oh yeah, they they kind of have right as a development kit. But, totally, technically, yeah. but it's like, are they like thousand, like three thousand yeah. dollars or something like that? Yeah, they're yeah, they're not a consumer product for sure. Uh, Christian, did you have a last button thing you want? to I was going to say with? new Microsoft excites me. Like it's easy to dump on Microsoft because we've been dumping on them for like as a you know conglomerate or as this huge company that's like slow to adapt or stealing other people's ideas or whatever. You know, whatever the the snide snarky thing you want to make about M dollar sign. But current <laughs> current gen Microsoft, be it their Xbox or their hardware, um, the VR AR stuff they're doing, they're doing some really exciting stuff. That if they can nail it down and make it consumer friendly, I think uh, we might all be changing our tunes. We'll all be walking around totally. like the hipsters. We'll all be on Microsoft at the coffee shop. I man, when they the, like everyone seems really hyped on all the new Surface stuff that they revealed. Like all the hands on impressions of that that sort of enormous desktop art tool thing seemed really really positive i still think the was it the surface book the one that they they revealed a while back that i like that thing is i just think that's a cool looking piece of hardware which is a crazy thing to say about a microsoft product like the people who brought us zune are bringing us some of the most cutting edge design in in standalone computers um i'm i'm totally with you on that like i just i'm i love new microsoft too i am a huge windows 10 apologist uh i'm i'm <laughs> it's very good. it's good yeah uh in in the chat reach that far says M dollar sign has been killing it this year. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Go M dollar sign. Uh, all right, I want to get to games we've been playing because, uh, you know, Christian stole two stories instead of just one. Uh, but I do want to hit a feel-good story that I, I really love. Uh, Skyrim Remastered is out this week. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in my games I've been playing. But uh, it has brought the return of a very prolific streamer by the name of Grandma Shirley. If you guys have heard about this, uh, she's an octogenarian, 80 years old. And uh, she streams Skyrim. She's done over 300 Skyrim videos, has over 100,000 subscribers, and she's just the sweetest little thing. Um, somebody's grandma plays Skyrim, and I just wanted to bring it up because it, it makes me feel awesome. And uh, Do we know she's often... a grandma? Well, she calls all of her followers her grandkids. 
Uh, um, I'm just kidding. Which is like a, that's a remarkably savvy bit of of uh, that's a move right out of the the YouTube handbook though for real, where they're like you need to give your fandom a specific name and like say hi to them all the time. Like I wonder. I wonder if the, if she's in direct touch with YouTube on on stuff like that. I'm I I don't not to totally color this this really nice story with cynicism, but it's it's all a little. You're, she's saying she's three twelve year olds in a in a trench coat. Yeah, each other's one twelve year old boy started this, and an old person makeup and is just and, killing it. Just to inject a, a little bonus cynicism to this, do is there any chance I? Part of me wonders, and I actually don't think this is that bad of a thing. I think this would be a really, really great idea if they did it. But do we think Bethesda hit her up and was like, hey, we love your stuff. Like, we genuinely love your videos. Do you want Skyrim Special Edition? We would love it if you brought, if you came back just to, to do this. Well, even if they did, I, I don't know. I, That's not, I, not a bad thing. Yeah. I, I think this is a sweet story, and I'm so sad that we're talking about all the nefarious no, ways. I, I actually, money like, grab. The, her, her videos are amazing. She's got, like, in addition to the, the Skyrim Let's Play stuff, she does these, like, she's only done a couple, but these, like, vlog-style videos that are yeah. just her. And they're just, like, so, she's so, so authentic. And She is. She really is. She's, like, the sweetest lady and to yeah i mean maybe she's getting some dollars for this but she more power good on her well she's i heard it. i heard she's only doing it because zenimax offered a uh, threatened to sue her if she didn't so. <laughs> those <laughs> afghans don't pay for themselves you guys come on <laughs> you don't get the doily store is raising their prices okay wait how um, did so nick and i were being playfully uh cynical and then you just got like mean there jeff i didn't get mean <laughs> i just made some uh, old lady jokes <laughs> awesome you guys should check it out you guys should check it out i totally um, all right, let's move on now to, to uh, the playlist. Oh, but first, I do need to thank our sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs, and Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed servers, and guides with step-by-step -step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers 2 gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode, and getting started is easy. You just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support this show and use promo code 5x5 for $10 credit. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash 5x5. Linode. Simple, powerful, reliable. Can I interject one last thing on the grandma playing Skyrim? Sam yeah. 4Y in the chat said, just the thought of Bethesda sitting in a conference room and going, yes, this 80-year-old. I do love the idea that Bethesda cracked, you know, th this hypothetical, again, tinfoil hat, where, like, Bethesda's like, eh, we don't need to send out review copies early. We got uh, <laughs> we got our streamers out there already. I, didn't, honestly, I, I think this, this, this woman has more experience than all of us combined just going based on years, right? So by that metric... She's she's a more accomplished reviewer than than any of us. Yeah, she was uh, she was streaming when we were all in short pants. Uh, <laughs> she's honestly she wipes the floor with anything I do streaming. It is incredible. It is authentic. Yeah, which yeah, she's a joy. All right, let's move on to the playlist. All 
All right. Well, we're going to start because all of us have been playing it. We're going to start with Titanfall 2. Uh, Titanfall 2, the sequel to the multiplayer-only Xbox One exclusive game. Throwing all those conventions away, now it's multi-platform, PC, PS4, Xbox One. And it has a single-player campaign. Uh, Christian and I actually recorded some spoiler talk about the single-player campaign, which you'll find at the end of this episode as bonus content. So if you have played, if you finished the, the campaign... Stick around at the end of the episode for that. It's fun, fun stuff. But let's talk a little bit about the game. Um, it was released at an odd time because it's kind of sandwiched between two gigantic first-person shooter releases, uh, one of which by the same publisher, Battlefield 1 last week, Call of Duty, Infinite Warfare next week, and here we have Titanfall 2 uh, sandwiched between them, uh, which has resulted, it looks like, early results are uh, some really tepid sales. Which is a shame because I think all of us love this game. Uh, yes. Nick, Nick, what do you think? Um, I have. I, I don't know that I've been as grabbed by a a multiplayer shooter in a really, really, really long time as I have been by by Titanfall Two. I know uh, it, it seems like we've all played a little. I've I've played a little bit of the campaign. I haven't finished it yet, but the multiplayer has been the thing that has just completely gotten me obsessed with it. Um, and Were you obsessed with the first Titanfall? Did you like that multiplayer game? I was obsessed with the first Titanfall for like five days, and then I put it down and never played it again. Right. Um, something about this, though, it just feels like they they fixed the, the big content problem with the first game, which was there was just not a ton to unlock and not a ton to do. I wasn't really a fan of the burner card system in, in Titanfall 1 multiplayer. Um, but no, I just... it's It is the best like feeling video game i think i've played all year um does the movement stuff bother you i I was not a big titanfall one um fan i I liked it but it stuck with me for even less than five days and so i didn't have this attachment but i know some of the flack it's getting online is you know as you're running you're a little slower they want you to wall run and um use your zip line more and so therefore the maps are a little more open than they used to be and people are having a hard time adjusting to that, and then the Titans not having a regenerating shield. Does that yeah. stuff bother you, or do you think it's a, a good change to the to the series? So, yeah, so that's two super different points. I think, like, after the beta, like, weekend one of the beta, I, I actually read the patch notes for weekend two of that, that first beta that they ran, and they increased the run speed, like, and the, on walls specifically, I think, right. by, by a high amount. Um, yeah, I, the the it feels... I don't know. It just feels extremely tuned and balanced to me. Uh, the the ta- the Titan battery system I actually love, but I wonder if that's because I wasn't a huge player of Last Titan Standing in the original game. A lot of the people I've talked to who have strong feelings about that loved the mode Last Titan Standing in Titanfall 1, which is the mode where it's five Titans on five Titans. Uh, first team to eliminate all the enemy team's Titans wins. Um, and the the way the regenerating shields worked is you could kind of like go run and hide. Uh, the way it works in Titanfall 2, for anyone who doesn't know, is um, when you rodeo an enemy Titan, the first time you yank a battery out of them that you can then go bring back to your Titan or hop on a teammate's Titan and give them a full charge of shields so now shields are a lot harder to come by which i actually think makes shields matter more and makes titan combat a little bit scarier i've had i actually had a a match yesterday in the multiplayer where my titan had just the tiniest sliver of health left like i was i was gonna be doomed if i was shot by anyone any amount and i saw there was a a uh, battery on the minimap because they show up there all of them 
So I hopped out of my own Titan, ran, scooped up the battery, like frantically ran back while I was getting shot at by an enemy Titan, hopped into my own Titan, had a full bar of shields, and then was able to like pull off this really ridiculous move with my Titan's core ability where I just rained down missiles and took out, I think, two enemy pilots and one enemy Titan all at once. It's like a replay that I have saved on my Xbox One that I'll never delete now. And it's, <laughs> it just, it, this game is such a good dramatic moment generator for me. Yeah. I, there's this constant sense of like, uh, of uh, just tension and there's it's really really good at, at putting you in positions where you're having these like very cinematic very hollywood uh feeling uh set pieces happening in a multiplayer game and they're all like it's just um, there's cool emergent moments that couldn't have been planned uh that just emerge ho- like magically from the game design it's built to be dramatic um and i've just had awesome. really tense sweaty controller moments with it already that's, That's right. so great. I, I love that we have you on because your experience with the game is is the exact opposite of mine. I, I, you know, I really thought the first Titanfall was such a cool concept, and I thought the mechanics worked really, really well, and I just wished I had a single-player campaign because that's what I love about first-person shooters. I, I come for that, that narrative campaign, and this game delivers, I think a better campaign than I could have possibly hoped for from, from this universe. It expands the world. It constantly is, is offering new, interesting, really cool moments and mechanics and things to do. It is, I think, my favorite single-player first-person shooter campaign since the first Modern Warfare. It is that good. It's brief, but... It offers so much cool stuff to do. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, um, I mean, I've been, I've been clamoring for a new Prince of Persia for a long time. I love the Prince of Persias. This feels like Prince of Persia with guns. Yeah. It, is, it is the puzzle of traversal is so well executed in this game. And the shooting itself is extremely satisfying. Yeah. They, they nail the, like, thump, 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 thump of, like, hitting a, um, an enemy with a gun. Yeah, and oh, my God, those melee attacks. Yes, you're so dramatic across the the room. It's amazing, and then and that's all like with when you're not even in a Titan, right? Then you're in a Titan, and the game completely changes into something I think brilliant. It delivers these these Titan v Titan moments mm-hmm. that almost play out like you're playing Street Fighter or Tekken or something. They're really strategic, really tense. Like, 1v1 or 1v a couple, um, uh, uh, like, a, like a fighting game. And the thing that, that really works about it is almost any time in a video game when you, when you get to, like, a boss moment. And these are boss moments. You know, they have the zoom in and, like, shows you the title of the person and, like, open their titan and they're like, hey, I'm about to kill you, you know. Um, they're, they're boss fights. But almost any time in a video game when it has a boss fight... You're trying to figure out this crazy OP attack that the boss is doing. Mm-hmm. Here, they have the exact same attacks you do. Right. Or, or an exact same attack you're about to get because when you defeat them, you, you know, get their power. But it feels very balanced and it feels like you are on an equal playing field with this opposite titan. And so you, it, it feels more like this brawl, like a fighting game where you're playing a balanced opponent. It's so well done. I, I totally agree. I think the the boss battles being just the, the, I mean it, it in, it's one of those things where in hindsight it's obvious that the boss battle should be you fighting enemy titans, but the way it's executed is so good. And the thing that I'm impressed by <clears throat> is like that 
for me, I, I have found that that extends to the multiplayer. I tried uh, the uh, Last Titan standing mode for the first time last night, and I had like an incredible moment of like, it was three Titans on one all coming for me, and I... I thought for the first time I was using a I was using the tone um, loadout, which is one you get really early on in single player, but is one of the later unlocks in multiplayer. Um, and like that's the one where, in order to target enemies, you have to either hit them with your cannon or use this sonar ping that's on the the Y button. Um, and like it, it just I was realizing like as I rolled up to a Titan that he was in the exact same one as me, and I dropped a shield and he dropped a shield, and then like I went and ducked behind a building and shot my cannon through one window in the building and had it come out the other window and hit him enough to ping him. And then I like fired my rockets diagonally up into the left so that they would arc around the build. It just like, Oh man, they're so the mechs are so different. And and that's one thing that I think really separates this game from the call of duties of the world is like when you're playing as a pilot, like all the abilities are super cool and actually pretty varied, but a gun is a, is a gun for the most part in these games that have the low like time to kill. Like if you're shooting someone, if the bullets are hitting them, they are going to be dead very very soon. But the Titans have such drastically different abilities that it, it really matters what mech you're in and what mech your opponent is in. And there are absolutely strategies that you you need to employ based on who you're fighting and what you're fighting with. And that that's the cool part. That's the that sort of Street Fighter Yomi element that you were kind yeah. of talking about of like. I I have to fight every Titan differently, and I have to fight as every Titan differently in multiplayer and in single player. And it just to see them to see respawn all these like former Infinity War people making a campaign again, you really get the sense that like this thing is the culmination of what if all of, like the brightest minds in Call of Duty single player design left, weren't allowed to make a single player like campaign like this for like almost a decade, and then uh, like made one in 2016. And like <laughs> yeah. it, there's so many little moments of like these people have been really biding their time and meditating on what's good about those sort of four-hour single-player shooter campaigns. Uh, and it it feels like a great one of those. And like you said, like, the the locomotion being a big part of it is so cool. I actually feel like killing um, the little grunt enemies in the campaign is way more satisfying than it is in Call of Duty because they move around a lot. They're, like, very mobile and versatile. And just the, the sound design, the impact of firing a gun of mailing an enemy is all just tuned so so beautifully it's it's just this it's it's like eating just a delicious dessert is how yeah, I would... I've, I've played a lot of games where i'm a space marine this game i'm a space ninja because you you always have this ability to disappear you always have a cloak that's on a cooldown, mm-hmm. and you're the level of of traversal there are some sequences in the game where i was just i felt like liquid death i just was zipping around completely using the environment to my advantage, jumping on top of people, appearing behind them, punching them across the room, you know, leaping up in, into the skies, running around the walls. It I'm a ninja. I'm 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 it, it is so much fun. Um Spaceman Spiff uh, in the in the chat said that in the last couple of days he or in the last couple of weeks, he's bought Gears of Gears of War 4, Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2. And Titanfall 2 is the clear winner for him. And I agree. Christian, you agree too, right? Yeah, it, I really, really enjoy what Battlefield 1 does with its single-player campaign. I tweeted out, like, of the, I haven't played Call of Duty yet. I don't have any inside information as to how that campaign's going to be. So I'm not trying to hide the ball or anything. I just don't know. But of the holiday shooters, it goes Gears of War 4, which is excellent. But it's far and away outclassed by... Like, it, it's, the, it's incredible, and so it's incredible then that the next two are even more incredible. Then I think it's Battlefield 1, and then just eking out above that 
is Titanfall 2. And this is, again, not tons of time in the multiplayer. Um, Titanfall 2's multiplayer is more my speed than Battlefield's, you know, kind of big war I getting sniped and dying all the time. Titanfall 2, <laughs> I kind of know what I'm doing. Like, for me, Nick, I have those moments where, like, I string together how the game wants me to play, and I just need to get good because then the other 60% of the time I'm not able to do that. So that your scenario would have been me, like, getting the ping through the building and then being like, sweet, and then turning to shoot my rocket, but then clipping the side of the building and killing myself and being like, son <laughs> of a gun. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I don't think I own any EA stock. Uh, I was gifted a code for this game from a friend, not from EA or not from Respawn. Um, but just full disclosure, I did not pay money for it. But with that said, if you have the disposable income, go buy this game. It is, it's so good. If you just bought Battlefield 1 because of the praise I sang for it the other weeks, I stand by that praise for Battlefield 1 as well. But this game is so good, and I realize that this probably wouldn't have been possible because of how long it takes to make games. But if this campaign, if a campaign of this caliber had launched alongside OG Titanfall, I think that we would just be looking at this franchise in a totally different light. And it makes me so sad that EA is dropping two of their marquee, and they're both excellent both excellent games so close together that people are going to feel obligated to pick one over the other um it's it's stunning the multiplayer feels balanced to me like i said though i'm not the biggest titanfall one um fan so i don't know all the nuanced differences i don't feel them necessarily but the campaign it is paced so perfectly it keeps um it does the old infinity ward call of duty thing of like giving you something cool to do and then taking it away but you're not disappointed because then you're doing something else new and cool uh and when you are running around like you said being liquid death what this game proves to me is how bad both mirror's edge (coughs) games are because (laughs) this game nails that parkour movement and fluidity but it also manages to do it when you have a gun but you can't i mean you could straight up mirror's edge i would say at least 20 percent of these levels when you're the pilot just running around and meleeing people and putting together this line that is just american ninja warrior ungodly yeah there's gonna be some like some speedrunner dudes that put up some videos that are just gonna make this game look sick it is insane and i never felt disoriented i always felt in control i knew what i was doing um, my only complaint in terms of the single player campaign, the way it's um, laid out uh, objectively or like uh, how it's guiding you through the level in both Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2, I think, uh, lack in this regard a little bit. I always use the Left for Dead analogy because I think that game did it so expertly where it had lighting showing you where to go or Half-Life 2 where you're kind of you feel like you're in this big space and you feel like you're making the decision to go away. But for real, that's the only way you can go. <laughs> um, and Battlefield 1 does the battlefield thing of you're in this huge, beautiful battlefield, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go this way. And then it's like, mah, 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 return to battlefield. Mah, mah, and you're like, ah, oh, son of a gun. There's not like barbed wire. There's not a mountain. There's not a ditch that you can't go in. There's just a little part on your map that says, hey, you're not allowed to go here. Go fight this tank. And you're like, dang it, I thought I could sneak around the tank. That's annoying. I get the limitation of the tech, whatever. In Titanfall 2, what they do in their single player is it's like some of these wide open spaces and you're like, oh, I wonder if I can go this way. And then like you scan the environment and it's like, hey, here's a ghost to tell you the way to go. <laughs> and sometimes well, I think that's a it's a clue for the some of the challenging uh, traversal. It is. I wish, wish it was a little more intuitive. I like that portal moment. I like the Half-Life 2. These are all Valve Yeah, uh, I've been, I've been thinking like about that. that too. It seems like the way that works is 
if you stand still for like more than five to ten seconds, then it that word scanning pops up, and then it shows you the ghost, and it makes me wonder. That thing feels so. QA designed by committee to me where yeah. they were playtesting the game and they found that some players who aren't maybe as experienced as we are would be totally stumped by by some of the because like some of that platforming stuff if you're not someone who plays like wall running first person shooter things a lot could could potentially be limiting if I put that in the hands of like one of my roommates they they would probably need that ghost there I almost wish though that there was an option to just and maybe there is I haven't checked but like to turn that stuff off because I think it pops up a little too quickly and it's a little like, oh man, just let me figure it out myself. I think I can do this. Yeah, because the levels are it, right. You you have to push down on the D-pad yeah, in order to that's like, true. Turn, have it actually show you a path. That's so. a good point. It'll it'll pop up kind of facing the right direction, which sometimes yeah. that's enough of a hint. Right. Um, but to activate it, you you do need to opt in. That's true. Yeah, I was gonna say the levels are big and beautiful and and cool and and well designed, and I would have liked. Again, I'm sure this is super difficult, and I don't know how you do it, but you know, hats off to what they were able to accomplish. And again, this is a minor nitpick for a game that I say go buy this game like right now. <laughs> um, but I would have loved if they could have pulled off that portal feeling where you're sitting there and you're like, I don't, oh, I got to, this is the way, tricked them. Haha, <laughs> they didn't think I could get to this wall. And secretly <laughs> respawns like, you idiot, that's the only wall you can get to. <laughs> right. Have you, have you guys dipped into any of the collectibles, like the, getting the helmets and stuff? Some yes. of it, and some of that stuff is really f- cleverly hidden, mm-hmm. um, which you know I kind of just blazed through the single player, um, but I you know I didn't really try to, to get all of them before I moved on. Yeah, to me that's been the the closest thing that game has gotten to what Christian's describing. Where like I there's one uh, that that big sort of assembly line parkour area that I'm, I'm sure you remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one part where I saw this huge mechanical robot arm. And I was like, I wonder if I run up all the way up it, if there's something up there for me. And then I did, and I saw like a little wall I could run across that was suspended in midair that took me like behind into this dark area, and they had one hidden there. And that's, there's yeah. there's not a ton of that. You're right. There's like maybe one or two per level. But like those moments of, of exploration feel so good when paired with the these really great feeling mechanics. Something you said, Christian, that I think is so true is like, I I am never confused about what I'm doing. And that's that is I think one of those hard things to nail in a in a game that's about super fast movement, but like it's just it feels like they were obsessed with the feel of this and the feel of the movement. Like even just sliding along the ground and then shooting to the side while you're doing it feels inherently amazing. Um yeah. I, I am still like I the the sales numbers thing does scare me it's a such bit. A like bummer. I was playing the this is probably the most the most damning piece of evidence against that that I've found, and this is anecdotal, but I was playing last night uh, just like in a, a random multiplayer match, and I recognized a guy on the enemy team. It was uh, Jeffrey Grubb from VentureBeat, and I was like, if I'm in a game, like on launch weekend, if I'm running into other game journalists just through <laughs> dice rolls, that does not, if that says so much potentially, I guess, and it could just be dumb luck, but like, that says a lot about that this game is maybe only being noticed by hardcore enthusiast like press folk and maybe not the general public. Like I should not randomly be running into game. If this was the week before the game came out, that would make sense. But like the weekend the game is out, if I'm running into other games journalists, that scares me a little bit. Well, it's um, hard because yeah. I mean, EA dropped Battlefield One, and I think correctly everybody's saying it's praises. So if you're sitting on the sidelines like, oh, what am I gonna? And like this game, you're like, okay, I'm gonna. This is great. This will satisfy me. I'm gonna get this. It's you know that's not a bad choice. <laughs> it's just yeah. hard that this comes out the next yeah. week or whatever. Yeah, it's, this comes out in March or in June or something. Oh my god, that'd be ideal. Yeah. Um, 
and it's it's weird too because I I think someone might make the argument like well the battlefield game is for the battlefield crowd and this is for a different crowd and and while that's maybe true I think earlier in the show Christian you mentioned like most people even if you're the if you are the type of person who could enjoy both you're probably just going to buy one right that's the real limiting factor here is like yeah. not not that they necessarily have the an identical audience but the the middle of that Venn diagram is going to pick a side especially when they're within days of each other um and yeah i think that just not enough like so few people played titanfall one in part because it was semi-exclusive um i I think people are going to go with the tried and true battlefield thing even if it's like a new weird world war one one and that that this is going to be one of those games i think like halo 5 was for me where i'm the only person in my circle of friends who gets way into it and i'm going to start like buying it for people just so i have somebody (laughs) to play with because i think it's it could be potentially really slept on yeah the the thing that i'm always chasing since i was a little kid is the video game that I think about when I'm not playing it, that I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait till I can get home and play that. I can't wait till I can go, oh, man. And it, it's all too rare, right? It, it, sometimes games are, are still really good while you're playing them, but when you're not playing them, you're not really pulled to play them. Titanfall 2, all I could think about was, like, when do I get back and, and play the next level? I'm so excited to get back and play that game. It's that good. It's it, And we've talked about how crowded our top five of the year is going to be. <laughs> this one is, like, pushing its way into my list so it's that good it's that good it really i had a moment on sunday morning where like i when i woke up i i was one of those things where like i couldn't tell you the specifics of it all i know is that i had a dream about titanfall 2 like i just (laughs) i I woke up feeling like i had just played eight hours of titanfall even though i hadn't i mean i had on saturday morning but sunday morning i was like i just feel like like i i know that that was where my brain was last night because it was all i had put in my all i had put in my body on saturday was just hours and hours and hours of of wall running speaking of hours and hours and hours uh, i want to talk a little bit about the new world of warcraft patch that just dropped this week uh return to karazam uh it's Another game that is soaking up all my energy and time. Um, and man, World of Warcraft is so good right now. If you're a lapsed WoW player and you haven't tried Legion yet, what are you doing? It, it is... It, this game has never been better. It is It is as good it has, as it has ever been. And there's so much fun stuff to do. They have figured out the end game. This new patch introduces a new massive five-man dungeon. But the, the real kicker is you have to be attuned which means you can't just walk in. One does not simply walk in to the new content. Um, you have to be attuned, which means you have to do a, a, a whole bunch of stuff before you're allowed into the new content. Um, and part of that is doing four mythic-level uh, dungeons that have been in the game since the new patch, or since the new um, um, expansion. So that's what I spent my week doing with my buddies is uh, doing mythic level dungeons. I'm eye level 854 as of today, which I'm pretty proud of. And uh, we've been doing mythic. And I got to say, you know, as much as we've been heaping praise on Titanfall and as much as there is, uh, there are lots of fun video games that I've had throughout the years. I don't know if there's anything more fun than doing a challenging WoW dungeon with four of my friends all on voice chat they have just figured out how to make these boss fights so much fun. And even on, on Mythic, and now with the Mythic Keystones, even the trash mobs are really challenging and require a level of coordination with your team that is the most fun thing. I, I There's nothing I like more 
than having to plan a fight with my friends, all of us having to do our role, do it well, react to the mechanic of the boss, you know, get out of the stuff that you're standing in or, you know, do a specific thing in a specific order because that's how this boss is defeated. All of us yelling it out on on over over Skype. There was one moment where uh, we were fighting a boss who um, let me I'll tell you a little bit about the the makeup of my team. I won't take too long on this, but um, we have uh, my friends. I play a um, disciplined priest, which is a priest that does damage, and then a percentage of that damage transitions into healing. So it's not a great solo healer, but luckily. Uh, my friend Jerry is an elemental shaman, which is a great healer. So he goes in as the main healer. I go in as a DPS class, but I don't bring the kind of damage numbers that a that a dedicated uh, damage dealer. If I was a shadow spec priest, I would I would be bringing lots more damage. But I kind of make up for that by being an off healer. So anyway, there's this boss. Uh, in one of the dungeons that has these ads, that has additional um, enemies come in and start moving toward him. And if they get to him, they buff him. And he does this massive uh, area of effect spell that is basically a one-shot kill on everybody. And we didn't have the amount of damage required to knock down all of those different ads before they got to the boss because I just wasn't bringing those kind of numbers to the game. So we wiped a couple of times on this boss and we were getting, we were trying to figure it out. And I realized I had this bubble shield that is a spell that I can, that I can um, cast that allows an, an area on the, on the field to reduce your damage by 25% if anybody that's standing in it. So we would time it where when the ads all got to him and he buffed and right before he cast his thing, I threw down the bubble. I said, everybody in the bubble. We all ran into the bubble and this one shot kill, we all had like a sliver of health and nobody died and we were able to beat the boss. And it was like the best thing because we thought about it. We applied the skills that we had and we came up with a strategy that wasn't necessarily the prime strategy about how to deal with this, but it worked because we had a, a, a tool set that is broad across all these classes that allows you to deal with things. And, and it sounds like that was a solution that you improvised that was probably unique to your playthrough of this of this raid, right? Like the, the idea that there's not a single right way to do this, that you can kind of use the tools in your arsenal that you know really well to, to save everyone on your And then I'm assuming you had like a healer who was able to go in after you all had a sliver of health each time that that massive attack hit to right. heal you back up again. Yeah, exactly. And he would he would heal us afterwards, and we're still you know dealing with the boss, and it's it's that teamwork and everybody bringing a different tool set to the to the problem and working as a team and you know the things that I lack, my friend can make up for, and vice versa. You know, it is so much fun and truly one of my favorite things in game in gaming. It is. I, I'm just saying that. WoW right now is as good as it's ever been, and I'm having a blast with it. So I can't wait to report more on when I actually get into the 7.1 content because I have one more Mythic Dungeon to do, and then I'll be attuned, and we can uh, we can hop in. But my eye level is high enough that I think we'll be all right. As, as somebody who has like literally never played an MMO, it's, it is so fascinating and impressive to me that like 12 years after launching WoW, we're still talking about it, and, and they're still finding like ways to keep that, that fresh and like designing boss battles that are still interesting to wow players like that's yeah. that's i think that might be actually a completely unprecedented <laughs> in it's video extraordinary games. and i'll tell you another thing that happened this week uh i ended up deciding to get my my uh off spec weapon so the you know in the 
in the Legion expansion, you get these legendary weapons, and the big part of this expansion is, like, leveling up those weapons. And all of those weapons, there's one specific to each specialization in the game, and all of those weapons have a backstory and a cool quest line to go get them. And the cool thing that they did is they placed those quest lines throughout the world of Warcraft. So rather than having all of the new content be in all of the new places that the expansion introduced. They peppered it throughout existing lands. So when I went to go get this off-spec um, weapon, I went to, like, vanilla WoW. I, I flew into a place that I hadn't been in literally years of my life because there's no reason to go there. And I had genuine sense memory for the time when I was questing there 12 years ago. You know, I, I was like, oh my God, yeah, this reminds me of, I was dating this girl and she gave me, she actually gave me WoW as a present and oh my God, I remember it was really cold when I was playing this part and I had like sense memory for a fake place. That's, it was crazy. Oh, I love that. It's so, there's something so cool about like, that's the thing I think I envy most about MMOs is is the, the sense of place that you get from them. And like, I, I think I remember like, just hearing secondhand the, the that wow expansion that kind of re that like destroyed azeroth and kind of wiped everything and they remodeled every area like people cataclysm. were yeah cataclysm people were legitimately like in mourning over some of these places <laughs> or the same thing happens when an mmo shuts down right like the the yeah. matrix online and stuff like that or star wars galaxies like people are so so super attached to these these places and I, I think the only time i've ever gotten that feeling from a video game is um there are vr games i've played where i get a sort of sense memory of like feeling like i actually physically was in a place like when i when i put the headset back on and go back to some of these vr worlds i i get the sense that i've been there with my body before um and that's i think sort of a peripheral feeling and I'm, I'm super excited to see like in the next two decades or so when the those things the the confluence of those things like the weird shared experiences we're gonna have in in multiplayer vr stuff like it's oh it's so exciting i this is the best time i think to to care about video games and multiplayer yeah it is an abundance of riches and that gives a good uh transition to our vr talk but i did want to mention um the fact that I've been playing Skyrim Remastered a little bit as well, and it's a reminder of how great that game is. It's great. It's still great. It's it's really tugging at my heart to like play that again. But I'm like, I don't have 112 hours to put into anything again. Right. Uh, so it's really good though. It's I'm playing on Xbox One and like the mods and all that stuff. It's is it is it obvious to you how remastered? Like we did a side by side video comparing the Xbox 360 version and the uh, the remastered version with no mods turned on or anything, just looking at like the the default vanilla content for the first 30 minutes of the game. And watching it, obviously with YouTube compression and stuff, there's a lot of factors, but it looked like Skyrim to me. Can you playing it like on an on an actual TV in HD? Does it feel visibly different to you? Well, this is a, a thing Christian and I have talked about a lot with remasters. Is your memory is a liar. Right. right, because you're like, yeah, this looks exactly how I remember it, and then you're like, oh no! If you loaded it up, you'd be like, oh, that looked like garbage. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I think the the real test of a remaster is if they can bake the rose tinted glasses in there and make it look how you remember it, then they have succeeded. Well, yeah, that was Halo like, Combat Evolved was the brilliant thing they did with the push the button. It's like, oh, you think this is how Halo used to look? Push this <laughs> right. button. Look at this yeah. garbage. <laughs> or even this is kind of a, a not a perfect analogy, but I've I recent last week I went to to Sega and played some of Sonic Mania, and I. I'm the biggest like 
2D Genesis Sonic fan ever. Um, and there are like so many little things where it's like, oh, look, there's the Sonic sprite just like I remember it and all the rings and everything. But in reality, they've completely redrawn all the sprites in the game. The rings now animate at 60 FPS, like double the speed of the original ring animation. So side by side, they look actually very weirdly smooth. Um, like all these, all these little touches uh, that like are sort of triggering the memories from when I was a kid sitting in front of my Genesis. But in reality, are design. It's like this designed nostalgia thing where it's yeah. like it's it's always impressive to me when somebody nails that. But to answer your question, I I don't think the game looks like it was made today, right? If mm-hmm. I you know play it side by side with Titanfall or um, I don't know um, Battlefield One for sure. Uh, it, it definitely shows some age, but it it doesn't hurt the eyes. It it is it looks nice. I think I think the remaster really you can tell the lighting is better, um, especially that first sequence when you come in on the you're in the back of that uh, wagon. Mm-hmm. They like do some really cool fog effects and lighting effects. I'm like I, this this wasn't here when I last time I was here. So yeah, it it does look pretty good. Um, Christian, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in, or should we move on to VR talk? Let's keep it rolling. All right. Oh, actually, I do want to hit this email real quick. Let's keep it rolling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an interesting email. Uh, he's, uh, this comes from uh, Kanishk from Singapore. Uh, he wrote into dlcfeedback at gmail.com, and he says, Hey, guys, on last week's podcast, Jeff was complaining about bullet sponginess in Gears of War and how enemies don't react to bullets. I want to ask Jeff and Christian if bullet sponginess is such an issue, then how come you enjoy The Division? In the division, you have to unload a thousand bullets into a guy wearing nothing but hoodies compared to a thick skin armored locust monster. <laughs> if you're complaining about bullet sponginess and gears, then you and Christian should also complain and criticize uh, adding division and destiny for adding bullet sponge enemies. Thanks for an awesome podcast. Um, here's my reaction to that. And I thought about this. I was like, yeah, oh, that is a good question. You know what the difference is in both of those games that you brought up? Little numbers shoot off the people <laughs> when I shoot them. Mm-hmm. It's it's an amazing how much that feedback goes into diverting any kind of criticism about sponginess. Because I'm seeing tangible, measurable progress toward defeating them. I'm seeing their health bar. I'm seeing it go down. I know exactly how far, how many times I need to hit them before they die. And in Gears of War, I'm just plugging away, hoping these guys eventually keel over. And Mm -hmm. I have no idea how far along the progress I am in that. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, even numbers per se. I think you need to see uh, your actions take having some effect on the enemy, whether it's they stagger, um, which the division has some of, but not tons of, or you, you see this thing flying off. It's something letting you know that you're connecting and you're, you're pulling off these, these hits. And I would also say go back and listen to those episodes because I know for a fact I did. I talked mm-hmm. about how... Um, that type of game, how the division is kind of, you know, similar to Destiny in many regards, but I found it ridiculous how a bullet sponge of a guy in a hoodie is much more annoying than a bullet sponge demon because I'm thinking, oh, this demon has all this armor, but I mm-hmm. still wish that Destiny had some better effect than just numbers letting me know that I'm pinging this guy. I love I games. I mean division. You're saying, you're saying sorry, Destiny. Destiny. Sorry, yeah, Destiny. I love. Division. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying both of them. Oh, okay. The division is annoying because they are bullet sponge guys in hoodies. But back when I was talking about the division, I talked about how in Destiny, I'm okay with a bullet sponge being a monster. But I right. wished and still wish that Destiny had more um, area effect of, of 
shooting people and not just numbers. Numbers are great because it's fun, but I liked way back when on the N64 with Goldeneye when you shoot a guy in the arm and he's like, ouch, and you know, you see that that effect. So I agree with this email uh, that uh, those are all bullet sponges that are annoying. I have commented and critiqued them in all of those games, and of them, Gears of War 4 is the most annoying version of a bullet sponge, in my opinion. That's, I think like what we, when we talk about bullet sponges, what we're, what we're actually talking about, I think, is shooting an enemy and feeling like nothing happened. And that's one of the most frustrating things as a player. And, and whether, whether it's numbers or an animation, like that that feeling totally sucks and I, I played through the first mission of gears of war 4 really uh with, with i was never been a gears of war guy but i i wanted to see kind of what the hype was about and something didn't click with me and i'm realizing now based on this conversation that i think that's what it was that i would like even in that that moment where you're positioned at a turret mowing dudes down it really felt like they were just absorbing the bullets and then after a certain it almost feels like a, there's still a number but it's hidden from you do you know what i mean where it's like you're shooting a dude over and over and over and then eventually he falls down um Whereas like playing through, I've been playing through Doom on the second hardest difficulty, and which I mean, you you mentioned demons, like that's the perfect example of that. Like those those enemies can take bullets, but like they'll spin around and they'll stagger and they'll like they'll take you shoot an enemy with a shotgun in Doom, even if it doesn't kill them, it has a visible sort of palpable effect on them that you as a player feel viscerally, and um, that that stuff matters to me a lot. It's I think bullet spongy enemies is a that's a term that can describe a, a few different problems, probably, um, but it's one of my least favorite feelings in a in a shooter. It's feeling like your your behavior is not being acknowledged by the game the way you feel like it ought to be. Yeah, I think it's that another thing. To Doom is great. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Because I was going to say it's a, it's another thing that I'm sorry. Will you continue? No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, it's another thing that I think that uh, Titanfall Two does very, very well. Mm-hmm. That you know, I can be on a on a full run, and a dude pops out, and I can go, I can turn and go, pop, 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 he's down. Next guy, pop, 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 he's down. Robot comes out, pop, pop, pop. Oh, he's not down. He's a robot. He can take more bullets. You know, it just they really, it really feels right in that game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, like for for people who talk about video games all the time, I still feel like, at least for me personally, like. Some of my favorite feelings in video games are ones that are extremely hard to articulate, and and Titanfall Two is like the most challenging example of that I've ever found because, like the the real magic of of shooting in Titanfall and sliding in Titanfall and wall running is in the 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 hyper precise tuning that the developers are doing that I that it feels like they're they're tweaking numbers for years in ways that I could not imagine, and it's these tiny things that like completely affect the the game feel, um, but. I just, I don't, all I know as a player, ultimately at the end of the day is if it feels good or not. And yeah, we have this blanket term polish, right? But that yeah. doesn't really say it enough. It, 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 it is all of this little nuance, all these little details that have to, have to feel right. Um, speaking of, of polish, uh, I wanted to talk for the, for this VR segment about Thumper. Have either of you played Thumper? Oh, wait, one sec. We do need this first. Uh, uh, yes, love Thumper. Love you playing it on PSVR. I'm sure a little uh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. That, that game to me is like when I think of the word polish. Now I think about Thumper. Um, it's it's so 
so every it just that they've been work, they worked on that game for something like six or seven years, and it it really really shows. Um, I mean, what what did y'all what was, what was your take on Thumper? If you were, were you playing it in VR or, or yes. outside of VR? Yes, definitely in VR. Uh, and I, I agree with you because it it has that like physical sensation. Mm-hmm. Slam into something and hit something, and you know you you hit the right button at the right time, and it le- leads um, it shoots off this like reverberating earthquake of power from oh your my god they, all just very visceral there are moments in thumper where they they even do the uh you know that classic thing in zelda where you hit an enemy with your sword and the entire game pauses for a fraction of a second to yeah. really let you feel the impact they do that in a rhythm game which is like completely violates every rule of what a music game should do it should never stop and start again but somehow it works in in well, thumper um, it works because when you connect on that shot you reset the lane so you can see sometimes there are other gems coming at you that if you miss that power shot, that, that boss death shot, those mm-hmm. jewels will keep coming at you. But if you connect on it, it goes, oh, whoom, and it, and it clears the entire lane, yeah, so then the you're lane back almost, on rhythm. It like wobbles and straightens back out again. I think it's, some, it's like there's, there's a lot of stuff in that game that's communicated non-verbally, which I think is perfect for, for a music game like that. And one of them is that the way these boss battles work, it's about nailing a sequence perfectly. And if you miss a, a, a gem or something it'll actually just loop that sequence over and over until you nail it or die, um, which is a really, really smart solution for that. But yeah, I, Thumper is, is an interesting one um, to play in VR. I, I think because it it violates maybe some of the core tenets of what a VR game should do, or at least what, what the general public thinks of as a VR game. Like in, in Thumper, if you look around, you, there's not that much to see. It's a lot of black space. If you look behind you, you can kind of see the track behind you, but there's really not anything going on. It's really, you're, you're kind of just staring straight ahead the entire time. Um, and, and I think what Thumper delivers in VR is, is something a little more subtle, but still very cool than what other VR games do, which is instead of this sense of like immersion and place and looking around, what you're, what you're getting is headphones for your eyes. Like <laughs> Thumper is a game that you need to play with huge, loud headphones around your head, turned up as loud as you can uh, possibly turn them up without hurting yourself. And maybe a little beyond that. And the, the VR thing that Thump or what Thumper provides in, in PSVR, I think is further isolation, like further absorbing yourself in this, awful hellish music realm that they've <laughs> that they've designed um and and the other thing i think you get with thumper is a sense of scale that's really good like uh, the, yeah. uh, the main difference i've actually played i think 90 90 to 95 percent of my time with thumper has actually been playing it on on pc because i i i splurged for the first time in my life on a on a non-essential piece of video game hardware and i got like a g-sync 144 hertz monitor um, with so like it, it syncs it up and the, it matches the frame rate with the refresh rate, so you don't need to turn on VSync. So I've been playing Thumper at 144 FPS on a monitor like mm. 18 inches from my face go with on, my headphones on. turned all the way up. It's like absolutely damaging my hearing, but I, I don't care. It's it's that to me is the ideal way to play Thumper. Actually, is on a huge monitor right in front of your face with really loud headphones. But with VR, the thing that I think that I I miss playing it on my on my monitor in 2D is the sense of scale for the bosses. I didn't realize how big those end level bosses are until i did it in psvr but like they feel enormous inside that headset um yeah it's i don't think enough people are talking about thumper and i'm glad you're bringing it up again because i totally agree and yeah those like when that giant demon face comes at the end of the first level you're like oh this is okay he's big and terrifying and let's do this um but yeah it, it is such a visceral violent feeling game and when you mess up man you feel it it is 
it's so well done. And, and like you said, it's got those little levels, the, that level of polish that delivers that sensation is so great. Well, my question to you guys, though, with Thumper, I'm really enjoying it. But now that I've S-ranked every level, like, is there anything else to do? I'm, have you you've S ranked every level in Thumper? No, I'm that just would, kidding. Holy, I was, I was about to completely bow down. Thumper's so hard, which I love. I actually, I actually genuinely love though that they made a music game where there's no difficulty setting. Like, right? It, it honestly, I mean, I, I was reading an AMA they did on Reddit the other day where they say that at, at every point in development they tried not to think about it as a rhythm game, and I think that shows because it's not like you don't choose like light, medium, heavy beginner like you just thumper is thumper and you're either good enough to play it or you're not well i love the way that i feel like i accomplished something and i'm like f yeah go christian you're the best and then it's like (laughs) rank d and i'm like you jerk (laughs) (laughs) and and conversely like when you're playing a level for the first time and you s rank a segment like blind you feel so cool you're like oh my god i was sight reading that and i still nailed it go me yeah um and how they layer on layer on the moves you need to know Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay. Now we have to go. Now we have to do this. All right, but we still have to do all the other things I've learned. It's uh, that sense of dread when you realize your controller still has twelve more buttons, and you're like, they're <laughs> going to make me use all of these, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And what's amazing about Thumper? I actually, I still have one level to go on that that I, I need to finish. I still haven't touched level nine yet. It's one of the things I hope to do tonight. Um, but as far as I can tell, Thumper literally only ever uses the A button in the analog stick. Which is so awesome. Like the yeah. the fact that they're able to wring that much depth and that many mechanics out of a stick and a button is just such a testament to like how much iteration must have gone into that design. Um, it's it's I, there's nobody I wouldn't recommend Thumper to. It's it's so beautiful. I agree. I, I'm just uh, I I'm, I guess I have an inherent bias, but I can't imagine not playing it in VR. I just I love the experience of it being all around me. Well, it's John Stewart from Half Baked, right? Like that's how I feel like with all these types of games where it's like what is it like have you tried it on weed? This is have you tried it <laughs> in vr like it's great but dude have you tried it in vr <laughs> i'm working on my my thumper review right now and there's a line that i'm thinking about cutting because it's a little melodramatic but i like i think the the gut reaction a lot of people have to thumper is i want to play this on drugs and and my answer to that is that's redundant like why you don't need to like do anything to augment thumper to make it trippy and psychedelic and right. it has that game has a physiological effect on me in a way that no other game does like i, I remember when i played in in vr for the first time at gdc this year and they were like how was it and i'm like well it made me really sweaty but like in a good way and that's that's kind of how i feel about thumper in general is it makes you really sweaty but like in a good way right <laughs> yes um uh, since we're on VR, I do want to mention I've been playing Alice VR, which is a big new upcoming release. I've been playing it on Vive, uh, although it's also available for Oculus, and I think it's coming to PSVR. I'm not sure. Uh, this is an ambitious sort of big adventure game with puzzles. Uh, you start on a spaceship and you get onto a world, and you play uh, somebody that – the reason it's called Alice is it's got some – Alice in Wonderland references, and one of the major mechanics in the game is you find these uh, buttons that let you shrink down in size to to you know uh, mouse size or back up to normal size. And there are a bunch of puzzles where you have to be small or be big. This game did not give me a good first impression, but the more I played it, the more it grew on me. No pun intended. It it um it really was it is pretty cool. Just the level of exploration that you get into. And some of the puzzles are kind of interesting. Some of them are kind of bland. 
I need to play more of it to determine whether or not my first impression was right or my <laughs> my growing appreciation <laughs> is really going to hang around. Um, but it, it's pretty interesting that they're trying to create like a giant adventure game that actually uses real movement. I mean, I'm in Vive standing up using the Vive controllers, but I'm moving without teleporting. I'm, I'm you know, gliding through the world like I would in any other first-person game. And uh, I don't have a nausea. It is a little strange in that, you know, you have to look where you're heading. I think we need to get away from that because in re- real life, I don't look where I'm walking all the time. Right. That, that's that disconnect. I know, Jeff, that you, you know, tweeted out like uh, Remedy, uh, Remedy, geez Louise, Respawn needs to make Titanfall in VR. Yes, and please. I, I, I would love that, but I don't know how they handle local motion yet we're in this because like looking even in um lucky's tale or even like a you know some um edge of nowhere like when i pull my head to the right and move my character to the left that disassociation still trips me out but i've also learned that i should not be in a, under the hood for more than 45 minutes i've started setting a timer even if it's just eye strain like i don't i've pushed it a few times and i i, I don't know if it's like tight on my head eye strain that kind of weird my eyes are you know tired from 3d or a little bit of motion sickness um so that's my own personal struggle so maybe that colors into it but i don't know how you handle moving through a world in vr unless you're in a field you know playing with the the oculus santa cruz i don't know how they would do it right you haven't tried rigs i i think is is proof of concept that a mech game works because they figured it out and i don't get sick playing that game and it's it's pretty intense first person shooter run around all the uh, all the little tricks about this that it feels like every VR developer is simultaneously coming to these pretty similar conclusions about this stuff. Like that stuff absolutely fascinates the heck out of me. The fact that like having like I think Riggs probably takes huge advantage of this, although I haven't played it yet. Is the, the idea that seeing something in your peripheral vision centering you makes you way less motion sick. Just having some sort of like cockpit helps right. a lot. Another thing that's interesting is I went and played um, Robinson The Journey, which is the sort of dinosaur-themed Crytek uh, PSVR. Uh, it's like, I think it's exclusive to PSVR at launch or something. Yes. Um, but that's another game where you're walking around with, with the analog stick. And I noticed right away that like, if you're holding forward on the stick, you can walk around at a pretty decent clip. But if I'm strafing or going backwards, it moves like 20, maybe maybe 15% of your normal run speed. And I asked the devs about it and they were like, yeah, we figured out right away. Like if you're trying, if the easiest way to make a player motion sick in VR that we've experienced is if you're moving anywhere other than straight ahead, that can absolutely throw you off. So we'll still let you do it in this game, but we make it way slower than normal motion. It sounds like the way Alice VR works is you literally can't strafe at all, right? Correct. Yeah. That seems frustrating where you're walking. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like I, I on the one hand, if that's a way to curb motion sickness, I get it. But the Robinson the Journey solution of like letting you move gently in other directions seems seems to work for them. Yeah, um, I, any game right now that uses head pointing is, it, it bothers me because I'm used to now Vive being able to walk where I walk and look where I want to look and not mm-hmm. have to connect the two. And I think we need to we need to disconnect the like look where you want to move thing. And I know a lot of that's built for things that can work in gear vr that don't have a controller you're just using your head as the pointer or whatever but it it, the whole idea of vr is that i just behave naturally like i was a human being and that's not how i behave as a human being so i don't want to do it i think that's that's the thing about like have have y'all used and i know it's not like out yet but have y'all used oculus touch yet yes um that to me even though like it was like two packs ago like probably 
a year and a half at this point like that is still the most transcendent incredible vr experience i've ever had was doing the um the playroom demo yeah. with the oculus touch controllers because like like you said jeff like the controls for that game are the same controls i have used for 26 years of being alive where <laughs> i just do what my muscle memory tells me to do and it works like that's and I think walking around, like, room scale VR also has that going for it, where it's just, like, do what feels right, and it works. And Yeah. Uh, That's what people don't get, I think, about VR in general. They think it's, like, analogous to Wii Waggle. And, and I keep trying to explain that to people that haven't tried it, which is you're not puppeteering. You're not, you know, with Wii Waggle, you're, you're doing a thing, and then you're looking on a screen to see if the guy did the thing that you did. Right. In, in VR, you're just doing the thing. You just do it, and it works like it should in the real world. Yeah, there's no abstraction, which is, right. I think, amazing. Right. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, we're, going, we're going a little long here, but let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Uh, so, Nick, you. Uh, dabble in the in the hobby board game world yes i do i i dabble very gently in it i've got i i live with with uh two roommates who are not huge really gamers of any kind but we we have grown to sort of become very casual uh board game players together um and and that's been really fun i i don't think we have like me and my my group of who i play with those two dudes uh, we haven't made any huge strides lately. We still kind of just play Coup whenever we want to play a Coup's game. Coup's a great game. Coup's incredible. Uh, and and that's been really fun. Um, I personally have actually gotten, this is so weird and completely out of left field, but uh, I think it was a month or two ago, we got sent at Polygon some, uh, some product from the latest Pokemon trading card game expansion. Um, and I got way into that for like a month where I just was playing it every single day. And then I all of a sudden stopped and I may very well start again. But um, have you all ever played the Pokemon trading card game? I never have tried it. And it's been around for, what, a decade more? Oh, yeah, it uh, has. Um, it's Do, do you all play any, any TCGs like Magic the Gathering or anything? Yes, I got very into Magic for a long time. Um, Android yeah, Netrunner. <laughs> did you, did so, you play Magic, Christian? Uh, back in high school. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I started playing Magic in, in middle school, and then I've gone through, like, waves of, like, relapsing and then stopping again and then relapsing. Uh, the thing that blew me away about the Pokemon trading card game that I didn't know until we got these cards was, uh, I don't know how much you all know about Magic the Gathering Online, but it's a a pretty notoriously uh, janky product. It's never really been great. They've rebuilt it from the ground up a couple times, and it's always been kind of... Uh, a nightmare uh and the, maybe the worst part of magic online and this is totally different from like magic 2016 and all those other like duels of the planeswalkers all that stuff um the thing that always was hard for me to swallow about magic online was that booster packs in magic online and i'm assuming this is still true today it was definitely true when i was in in high school uh booster packs in magic online cost the same as a physical booster of magic the gathering like 399 to walk into a store and buy a booster pack 399 to buy a digital booster pack hmm. uh, all the product costs the same as it did in the real world um and that that was just that didn't feel right to me. I think the one exception was if you collected every single card in a set in Magic Online, then they would send you those cards in real life, but also you didn't get to have them online anymore. So it was like this <laughs> you had to really jump through some hoops, and even then you were like not necessarily coming out ahead. Um, what's cool about the Pokemon trading card game is that I don't know how many sets has been true for. I think it's been true for the past couple of years. Um, every set, every booster pack you buy comes with a card that has a QR code on it 
that you can use to get a that exact product for free in the digital game. So like hmm. if I bought a a booster pack of of a Pokemon set, I can come home and like load up the iPad version and I by typing in that code or scanning it, you get a free booster. And actually like crossplay. Exactly, crossplay <laughs> for physical cards, exactly. Yeah. Um and what's cool about that is like actually up until recently that was the only way to get cards in in pokemon the trading card game online unless you like played through some of the single player stuff you can earn currency that way but there's like they actually haven't monetized it yet there's no in-game currency you can buy i think they're like in canada they're testing a new second currency gem system that you can buy and use that to buy boosters but like since i started playing if i wanted like a theme deck to play with to kind of learn the ropes or relearn the lo- ropes i guess like 12 years later um i had to go walk down to my local card shop buy a theme deck in real life load that into the game and then p- play it online and i that's it, it's just hmm. compared to magic online and that felt so generous to me um like huh. it's interesting because uh, it feels like a very blatant way to just boost sales of the physical thing yeah but at the same by the same token i have bought probably over a hundred dollars of Pokemon physical product at this point that I absolutely would not have bought if it wasn't tied into the, the digital version. So now are you, are you playing with your roommates? Do you have like, are they just as hooked as you or they are not playing Pokemon trading card game online at all. I, I think I've played one in-person match of the Pokemon trading card game in 2016 and then maybe like 75 matches online. Oh wow. Um, so you're just using it as a sort of online experience. I am. I, I recently, I built a, uh, a deck, uh, about a month ago, I like streamed the deck building process on Twitch and built a, a physical deck to bring with me to PAX, which was like just a complete fantasy. The idea that I would have time to sit down and play the Pokemon Trainer game at PAX, I don't know what I was thinking. It did not happen. But uh, I have built a deck for theoreti- theoretically playing in real life. But it's I've been buying physical cards for a digital game, and it feels kind of <laughs> good. Because like it, cool. I, get the, I get that good feeling of ripping open a booster and seeing what my rare is uh, twice. I get to see it <laughs> once in person, and then I get a totally different booster pack. It's not like the same cards you get digital. Digitally. it's that's another so random bad. booster pack um, that's so cool it's similar kind of i guess to what marvel was doing or is still doing with um you buy a physical comic book you get the digital version free uh as well i think that's a really interesting business model now are you a, are you a pokemon guy in general like are you into pokemon games also I'm, or did this is this an outlier no i am i i'm one of those i know this is like the most boring the millennial opinion to have but i i really do have that strong attachment to first gen i really am a pokemon red blue yellow guy i'm trying to keep an open mind and like i'm trying to open my heart to the new pokemon and pokemon sun and moon like i, I know that the, the knee-jerk thing to do is be like oh, all these new pokemon are garbage i only like but like no the new ones are fine i just have a real affinity for those those early generations um so you're no, sort of I, in the wheelhouse anyway this tra- the, the trading card gameness of it is influenced by your love of the ip Totally. It, yeah. it really is. I just love Pokemon as a concept. I love right. like the, the booster packs that we were, were sent for review were this new set called Pokemon Generations where they're doing actually a really fascinating thing, which is um, Pokemon Generations is a lot of Pokemon from the first two Pokemon sets, Pokemon, the trading card game, and that starter edition, I think it was called, and then Jungle Edition. Um, but what they've done is it's the same art, the same attacks, but they have rebalance the the numbers on the cards to accommodate the power creep that's happened in the game over the past decade mm-hmm. so it's like charizard and pikachu and all those cards but they have way more hit points and do way more damage just because the game has had that gradual power creep forward that every trading card game has like magic has had that problem too but their solution to it is weird which is re-release the cards crank up all the numbers and and tweak them so they're still playable in a competitive pokemon format today which are kind of a, a fascinating concept i can't think of any other examples of that happening 
That's really cool. I, I'm, I had no idea that that digital relationship to the physical thing existed. I th- I'm like, really um, fascinated by that. It's like, um, you know, Nintendo could learn something about that, like releasing a physical thing of a strong IP that you have an affinity for that somehow attached to the game but gave you a different product. I think there's something there. <laughs> uh, me agree with you. <laughs> and by something there, I mean 40-somethings on my shelf. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awesome. Uh, all right, guys, let's wrap the show up. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming at you. Don't forget to stick around for that. And plus, we got bonus content from Christian and myself talking about uh, spoilers for the Titanfall 2 campaign. But I have to thank Nick Robinson for being here, man. This has been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a super, super fun discussion. Cool. Uh, where can people keep up with you and follow your stuff? Uh, so, so my day job is doing videos for Polygon, uh, which you can find on youtube.com slash Polygon. Uh, and we, we also do stuff on, on our website and on our Facebook and all sorts of stuff like that. And then personally, I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Babylonian. I've also got a YouTube channel on youtube.com slash Babylonian, but it's gotten really weird since I started working at Polygon. Like Polygon has become my place for normal quote unquote real videos. And then my YouTube channel has become kind of this nightmare dungeon where i put all my ideas that are too stupid to throw on polygon uh so it's just like it's videos of me like ordering a pizza and then making the pizza guy scribble on my wii u gamepad and then building a mario maker level out of it it's very abstract uh and artsy and i i I don't know that that's the best (laughs) the best content on earth but i i enjoy it it's a good outlet for that stuff and you're one of those people that's that's uh, mourning the loss of vine right you were prolific oh my god dude it's it this week has been i i it's been hard i really really love vine as a format it's like me there's okay not i'm this is gonna get a little in the weeds but like um my my brothers and i have like we constantly talk about things that are weirdly catchy like uh the the story i always tell is my younger brother uh there's this line from an episode of spongebob squarepants where like spongebob is deciding he's gonna start making krabby patties again and he the crowd is chanting all the ingredients for him to do it and they go we want onions cheese and like keep listing the ingredients and uh we always thought that was like so sticky and catchy for some reason but we couldn't put our finger on why and one time he was in class in like middle school and he said we want onions and another like two kids in the class said cheese like they knew it it stuck with them for some reason (laughs) and vine is like if you created if you if we were if me and my brothers were demigods and we tried to create a world entirely around curating weirdly sticky weirdly catchy things vine is the app we would have released because it's like all the most popular vines are these things that like stick with you and you don't know like i feel like if you decode it like the golden ratio is in there or something like (laughs) there's so many vines that you're like i'm gonna be thinking about this for the next six months and i have no idea why and maybe because it's on repeat and (laughs) that's probably a big part of it yeah but just like there's so many vines that are magical for reasons that we can't put into words and i am gonna miss that so much i'm I'm holding out hope that something something or someone steps in like maybe they roll the vine toolkit this is what i I want i want them to roll the vine toolkit into um the video tools on twitter like i just want a little switch i can flip at the top that makes my video a six second looping video instead of a 140 second normal video Um, but it's twitter we're talking about so god knows if they they bother to do that I just can't believe it's not profitable for them in any way. It feels like it was pretty popular platform. Yeah. But. I, I had a friend who uh, posted a Vine this past weekend of – it's like – it's so weird. It was like I was coming home from a Kanye West show and I was like a little a little bit drunk and I was looking at my phone and this, this guy I know named Braith Miller had posted a Vine of his friend standing in a parking lot just doing 
like weird karate kicks to the air and i the saw whole, that one yeah he's like his friend's kicking in the air it's gonna be better if you watch it than if i describe it but he's kicking the air and my friend the camera guy's going like like stop stop it you're gonna get in trouble and then the last two seconds of the video is him with his hands up while 20 police descend on him with their guns drawn and it's like the most confusing weird video you've ever seen the video is called kicked too much so if you search twitter for kicked too much you'll find it um but i immediately i was i was watching it on loop over and over in this like uber on the way back from a kanye west show completely losing my mind laughing i told Braith immediately i'm like this is gonna have four million loops within a month and it had four million loops within 36 hours and like that to me is the perfect example of the weird virality and uh the power of vine and the popularity of vine to like propagate weird stuff that would never have gotten seen by anyone if it was like a youtube link you had to click right um that's what i'm gonna miss and it makes me so sad that like for what seem to be financial reasons that it can't it can't persist pour one out for vine um (laughs) christian what do you got going on this week you can if you if you need more extra geek content. I have uh, another podcast called At Least Twenty More Minutes, where this week's episode is going to focus on. Um, it's going to be the first and hopefully a series, uh, the art of the trailer. While I will be comparing, contrasting two successful trailers and why I think they're successful for different reasons. One being the film Logan, the upcoming uh, Wolverine film Logan, with Red Dead Two's new trailer, kind of talking about that. Um, you can find it at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer and, and whatever the minimum, like it's like a dollar, whatever you can do, uh, give you the access to the RSS feed and stuff like that. And it's a new episode every week and also bonus episodes drop. The format allows me to do a Nintendo switch hot take like that morning. And I can just jump in whenever I kind of, I have a hot take about the Microsoft announcements and Apple's, uh, MacBook pro announcements, but I think I'm going to redo it. It'll be less of a hot take because I came across very disappointed after apple's thing and it's just kind of me being sad <laughs> for like 15 minutes being like i don't know i uh, maybe i should release it just for the the moment um <laughs> and then if you're gonna be in or around san diego november 15th i am recording my next stand-up album we're all gonna die it'll be at uh lestats west which is 3343 adams avenue the show starts at 9 p.m it is a free show all ages uh the content however i i do curse it is not clean like this uh this show there will be cursing but uh you know use that knowledge wisely and get there early if you want seats uh if you're gonna be in san diego i'd love to see you there an easiest way to get in touch with me is twitter which is currently still in business it is s-p-i-c-e-r jeff what about you I'm at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T, and I have a couple other shows for you to check out. The Slash Filmcast is a movie review show that I do over at SlashFilm.com. You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. And I do We Have Concerns with Anthony Carboni. Uh, that's a 20-minute science comedy show you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. Uh, all right, let's get to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do. Nick, you've already had some awesome recommendations, uh, including some cool vines. But is there any other thing you'd like to mention as a parting gift to get people through their week? Ooh, um, man, it's tough because I feel like I feel like this is the the most vanilla answer on the planet. But uh, I keep I I'm I'm beside myself with how how invested I already am in Westworld five episodes mm-hmm. in. Um, that there's uh, maybe 
I, there's something about it that's like i guess part of it is like i'm excited to be part of the zeitgeist for once as somebody who completely didn't watch game of thrones at all like it's it's cool to get to watch an hbo show every sunday and and be part of that that conversation um, and it's kind of about video games completely. right and yeah. like from episode one like if you're someone who who plays games a lot you will start seeing those parallels right away um and it's i'm actually kind of really curious and excited to see how how the discourse around Westworld is going to change when Red Dead Redemption 2 drops because I think a game that's going to hit with in the mainstream that way that's about the Wild West while we're at peak Westworld hype in 2017 like I suspect will be there's going to be so many people making that connection for the first time yeah. and it's going to be it's going to be a really fascinating time for for people who care about about games and the the weird ways that we do things we wouldn't do in real life in video games it's just if you if you think video games are interesting and if you think uh game design is interesting that show feels like it's explicitly about what it's like to work at bethesda like <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so if, if you like games i think westworld is absolutely worth watching a couple episodes of just to just to take the temperature and see how you feel about it completely agree uh christian how about you, you got a parting gift dose to take you home on this halloween week uh one is real quick phoenix tx originally from houston then san diego pop punk band they have a new ep out that is excellent they were originally called river phoenix back in the day if you kind of fell off the pop punk scene phoenix tx released a new ep it is great and it's been a couple of months and i always do something like this uh every couple of months and i i mean it sincerely um you matter everything you do matters be proud of what you do and be excited about things it's okay to be excited and to be happy and to think the thing that you're doing is awesome. Whether it's Rec League, Ultimate Frisbee, or you just built a, a, a ship in a, in, a, in a bottle, or you got S ranks on one level of Thumper. Like, let's champion the things that we love and that we're excited about and know that it matters. It's too easy to be like, oh, well, this is dumb, or I'm doing this dumb thing. Like, no, no, no. The things that you're doing, the hobbies you have, the things you love, they matter, they're important and keep doing them. I just no longer believe you've S-ranked any levels of Thumper, Christian. <laughs> Honestly, you want to you know, I don't know the honest to God truth? I think I'm through level three, world three or whatever. Um, the worst I've done is one C. Everything else is a B, A, or an S. I'm pretty good at the early levels of Thumper. That's awesome. There's a, there's a difficulty spike coming in level four that is going to... It might rattle you, but what, we'll is, see. I just the, the level I just finished was up and down. I think that's three or is that four? I think... Hmm. I'm trying to. It's so hard. Like the, the the fact that the levels have numbers and not names makes it really hard to discuss them because in my head they're all categorized by mechanics. And yeah. Oh my god. I know we. I know we're wrapping, but I have to say this. Someone pointed out that uh, the level numbers and thumper correspond roughly with the the time signature of each level. Oh. So like level three is in three four time. Level four is in four four time. Level five is in five four time. Brilliant. It's so oh, just so Brilliant. beautiful. Huh. My parting gift, as much as I love me the West World, and I love me the West World, I think my favorite show of 2016, favorite new show of 2016, is called Goliath. It's on Amazon Prime streaming. My wife and I blazed through it in about three sittings. It's only eight episodes. Each is an hour long. This stars Billy Bob Thornton and a bunch of actors that I'm sure you recognize. Uh, it is a... Uh, a courtroom thing, but it's unlike any courtroom thing you've ever seen. This show blew me away. Um, William Hurt is in it, being this amazing villain. Uh, it is awesome. It is so good. Uh, I recommend it. I didn't even really know about it. I think a lot of people, I tweeted about it. I think a lot of people don't know about it. So 
Check out Goliath on Amazon Prime Streaming. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free. So uh, the fact that you're you're talking around any specifics actually makes me way more excited. It seems like you don't want to give anything yeah, away, which makes I me don't. really want to go watch it like right now. There's a thing that happens at the end of episode two, where I literally leaped out of my couch, off of my couch, and my wife went, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it is. It it it's. It breaks rules. It does really interesting things. It has really interesting characters. It has a good versus evil, but actually makes both sides shades of gray and sympathetic. And inter- It is really, really, really good. Really good. Goliath on Amazon Prime. Uh, we do have a user-submitted parting gift as well. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Matt Schnapp. He says, I love music. I also love finding beauty in unexpected places. This makes... The Project Moonbase podcast, one of the most wonderful, absurd, and absurdly wonderful experiences. It largely focuses on exotica and library music. It occasionally delves into the creatively strange. Germans pretending to be South American? Why not? Russian chip prog? What could be better? Thai psychedelic rock? Of course. Awkward white Christian reggae? Yes, please. And that doesn't include the covers. Sheena is a punk rocker on steel drums? Better than the original. Bohemian Rhapsody on a calliope? Smooth Criminal on a barrel organ? How about Eye of the Tiger on a dot matrix printer? There's something for everyone at projectmoonbase.com. I checked this out because I I couldn't wrap my brain around it. It's really, really good. Um, The episode that I listened to, the guys were talking, these two DJs that that host it, uh, and uh, they were expressing an idea that I have felt uh, my whole life, which is the word like is verbal mayonnaise. I just thought that was so great. <laughs> anyway, check it out. That's from Matt Schnapp. If you want to submit, uh, you can always send us uh, parting gifts to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or really any feedback. We welcome there. Uh, if you want to comment on the show or send us an email to read on the show, we'd love that. Uh, we want to thank everybody who is involved in this episode. Thank you to Nick Robinson and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room that made the show better by participating and sharing their thoughts in real time. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. Stay tuned for bonus content. We have a Titanfall 2 spoiler episode coming, or spoiler talk coming right up. Until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. It is now time for a little bonus content. Christian and I both played through the campaign for Titanfall 2. You heard us talking about it in the episode, but we thought it'd be fun to talk a little spoilers because there are spoilers to be had in this campaign. And uh, my goodness, some fun stuff to talk about that we couldn't really talk about without spoiling the game. So um, one of the things I wanted to kick this off with is when I, you know, I went to the Titanfall single player announcement event that they had here in Southern California. And one of the things they talked about at that time was how they had designed this in a way that they had never designed any kind of uh, campaign before. They tasked their designers with coming up with interesting ideas. And they had, I can't remember what they called them, like story blocks or something like that, like action blocks. And uh, basically they, they, they just basically brainstormed a whole bunch of things that are fun to do in the engine and then picked a bunch of those and put them in the campaign. And I have to say, the campaign feels like that, right? That each level, you, it feels like you're doing something new and different. You get, you know, you get a time-traveling device for, like, 15 minutes. You know, it's like there's so many cool ideas, but none of them stays around very long. 
Well, I think the the first spoiler I'll drop, and it's to that uh, notion, is that you never have your your zipline leash. And yeah, I, the, I kept the, waiting to get it. Right? Yeah. yeah, like the thing that the the biggest new feature in multiplayer, I would say, aside from you know, there's you know, multiple mechs or whatever, multiple titans. But like that was the gameplay changer additions, like the running, the wall running, and then you have your your zipline uh, lasso thing. And I kept waiting through this game, like okay. Cool time travel device, great. Okay, I'm gonna get. I'm definitely gonna get it. And like, there are stationary zip lines that you sometimes use. But I thought it was interesting. From like, a, we wanted to do cool gameplay moments. Well, this cool gameplay thing that works in our multiplayer so well, we decided doesn't fit in the single player. It it, it, it blew me away that I, I never used that. Thing. Yeah, I was expecting it to show up at some point as well. And um, I mean, I never felt like the lack of it in the sense of getting around the levels. It was always easy to get around the levels, but right. Um, yeah, I was very surprised that that didn't show. It almost felt like one hand was not do- not knowing what the other hand was doing in the design sense. You know, like multiplayer people were doing multiplayer stuff and single player people were doing single player stuff. And both came out great for it. So, it's, yeah, it's not as if the single player suffers. But I kept thinking that, okay, the last – like every level I went through, I was like, okay, the last level is going to be a Halo-type escape and I'm going to have my, my zip leash and here I go. And, yeah, the single player does not hurt from not having it, but I, I kept waiting for it to show up. Well, let's talk about story specifics because, you know, you, you, the whole game is about you as this rifleman becoming a pilot, bonding with your BT, your, uh, your, you know, somebody else's mech, really, somebody else's um, Titan. And I think as soon as we all saw the first trailer for Titanfall 2 single player, we all went, well, BT's going to die. Oh, yeah, you can go back and listen to our episode. <laughs> <laughs> and he dies twice. He, uh, Batman v Superman's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of it kind of bummed me out because I thought that first death was really powerful, and then you get the like little front nameplate face eye thing, and I, that part I thought was so badass. It was it was like um, you know I, I was I always love when a game ends with a sort of Halo two esque you know blue gravity gun moment where you can you you get OP Half Life Half Life two. What did I say? Halo 2? Halo, oops, yeah. Halo 2 also <laughs> ended well until it actually ended. And then you were like, wait a minute. I was like, wait, how is this compared to Halo 2? <laughs> Pardon me. I mean I mean Half-Life 2. But that, that moment where you're like, okay, you're OP for a while. And they give you that pistol that automatically locks on. Titanfall 1 pistol, yeah. Yeah, it's so rad. Uh, but it's like always, you know, maxed out. So it's always just getting headshots constantly. I loved that moment of running through and just headshotting everyone on the way out, holding his little his little eye and then you plug the eye in a new thing, and it's awesome. First of all, how, what did you feel about that that moment? Yeah, it was great. I, I was cur- again. That's why I expected uh, this is the last time I'll bring up the zip line, but I expected like that's going to be the thing because my my Titan's dead, so there's no way I have a climactic Titan fight. Like, <laughs> and right. then they re- you rebuild your Titan, and yeah. But I thought that moment where where I, I keep wanting to call BTBD because it's like buddy, um, <laughs> he's my buddy. Um, when he when he died, it you know. It was a little over the top. It was a little summer blockbustery, but they they hit it well and they lingered on it for long enough. And he was like, "Take this," and I was like, "I will, Optimus Prime." And it, <laughs> it had a nice it had a nice moment to it. And then when you're running around, it is it's like end of the game. You're the best. You're the best at what you do. Just like pop, 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 pop. And it was it was really well done. And the last part was also really well done, but it almost felt anticlimactic to that ending. It almost felt like an epilogue, if that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's odd. It's like, well, if you're going to commit suicide, BT, can you just like shoot your 
your jets toward where you need to go and then just pop your eye off real quick and I can hold it and I'll put it in a new thing later and then we can still be friends. Like, spoilers for another thing, um, uh, Big Hero 6. Like, couldn't you have done that? Which is very similar to what you just said. Where he's yeah. like, I got this, but you take this and pow, here we go. And yeah, it, yeah, it's like I just, I just watched you able to be resurrected because I could do a very easily handheld thing. <laughs> you know, that like is so convenient and all you gotta do is just eject it and let me hold it for a second and we'll be good but he doesn't also again a single player i i don't want these spoilers take away from it like we talked about in the episode uh it's fantastic but um i i do think that the my fix for this and it's easy for me to sit here and uh monday morning quarterback this right my fix for this is the first time don't play it for a death don't play it for batman v superman the world is so sad like you have this moment with your titan just have bt be like you know i'm losing power take my eye in this dope gun you know uh the rebels will get you another mech go rifleman go and he like empowers you so it's not sad it's never like i'll leave my court it's like do this do this go 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 and then you have that awesome moment you still have all that cool stuff and then when he dies you actually feel this thing because he's not able to do that you know and you're like oh dang this is serious this is actual death whereas the way it happens it's death just kidding death it (laughs) maybe right yeah no i agree It, it it i don't understand why people don't understand that narratively it's like you can't you fool me once you know what i mean um let's talk a little about the time travel stuff because i thought that was so cool and so fun uh you get a wrist thing that lets you toggle between two time periods and so you're running through a uh destroyed research facility and then able to toggle back in time to when it was a fully functioning you know bustling uh epicenter of activity and there's a bunch of puzzles, uh, you know, traversal puzzles where you have to, you know, a, a bridge is out and you have to go back to when it was there or uh, there's be a, a thing that would kill you, but you toggle back and forth really quickly as you wall run past the thing. All that stuff I found to be so cool and so well done. But the thing that I thought took it to the even next level is that when you would toggle back in time or actually forward in time, uh, where a enemy was, there would be a little blue glow like like a residual essence of them so you could you you could shoot a guy shoot at a guy have him shoot toward you toggle forward in time to where he didn't exist but run to where his essence was then toggle back in time again and punch him in the back of the head cuz you knew where he was standing it was like this is awesome yeah, it's really well done, and those that essence kind of fades over time, too, so it's not as if you can run into a room and kind of mark everybody and you know where they are. It's like you got to keep going back and forth, but there are a number of times when the heavy enemies with the shields would come in, and I would just toggle into the future, run around, flank them, and like walk up right behind them like with my gun drawn, my pistol, and I would just toggle back and go, pop! Yeah! <laughs> and it's these real satisfying moments where you feel like the character doing this cool thing that the game doesn't want you to do. It's like, okay, nice try game. Oh, a room full of heavies? I have a time travel device on my <laughs> wrist, bro. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And then the cool thing they would do where back in time is soldiers shooting at you, but forward in time is animals jumping at you. And you're and corrupt AI robots that are like crawling after you, like real yeah. creepy Terminator style. Ugh. Yeah, and, and I was this weird thing was happening in my brain where I was like, I'm literally fighting two battles at the same time. You that know? talk to each other, which is kind yeah. of cool. Like, the, the past people are aware of, like, that you're glitching around or something, and uh, it's really cool. 
But then, you know, 15 minutes later, it's like, oh, we broke your wrist thing. Never, we're never touching that again. It's like, oh, but this that could be an entire game. And I felt like there were a lot of a lot of ideas like that that could have they could have mined further. Well, I feel like that is uh, Infinity Ward nay respawns kind of um, uh, modus operandi now, right? Where it's like uh, that they established that with Call of Duty in Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare Call of Duty Four, where like you're in the bomber and you're doing all this cool thing, you're like this is the best thing ever, and then. You're out of that, and you never do it again. And then you're in a, a ghillie suit, and you're like, oh, game on. This is the best thing ever. And then you never do it again. And I think that yeah. they've established themselves as this really cool set-piece moments that still work together as a cohesive whole. But I, I, I'm kind of a fan of it because I'd rather, you know, what's the expression? Leave them wanting more, right? Like, mm-hmm. I liked the fact that I they didn't overstay its welcome with the time travel uh, wrist device that I wasn't getting into, like, oh, here's the 18th time I do the fall down a well, I need to change the thing puzzle. Like, I do it a couple of times, it's fun, and then I move on, and the game keeps delivering new ideas. So it's not as if there's one awesome level, and then the rest of it is a hallway shooter, right? Like, right. that would be disappointing. But then the next thing, you're doing something where you're battling uh, on a flying plane against a titan that can fly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay, you had more ideas. Cool. Yeah, one of my, I'll love to have you throw out some of your favorite moments. But I, I, one of my favorite levels, I think, is the, um, the factory that's creating housing for this, oh, yeah. these, this dome world. Uh, and you're, I mean, there's been a lot of games throughout, you know, the last 20, 30 years that have done the sort of fighting through a factory as the factory is building something, but I don't think any of them have done it better than this. This is pinnacle factory creation stuff. You know, it's like, it's like that cool portal-esque, you know, gears and mechanical arms manipulating things and you having to jump on stuff. It's a, it's a platformer as well as this cool shooting area where you know stuff is moving and you're kind of timing your shots as, as something zips by in front of your face um and 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 then also the thing it's creating is mind-boggling and cool and it isn't just pure tech it's like grassy field that's being constructed and i just thought that level was so rad yeah it was really impressive i had one minor glitch at the end of the level that kept me from like having that be kind of my favorite level at the end of the level when the um, house you're in kind of turns vertical and you slide yeah. to the bottom and you got to kind of excuse your perspective for whatever reason when it flipped me and slid me down the game thought I was prone but I didn't know that mm. like it didn't indicate that I was prone so I couldn't turn my head left or right to look and oh. I was like this is I can't look at the thing I'm supposed to jump mm, mm. and I, I think that's like the one of the last things I streamed like that was kind of the level that hour that I, I streamed and you can see me getting like frustrated i was like this is such a cool level what the oh oh and then i like died and respawned and came out properly and i was like oh and it stinks that that's the thing that stuck in my head like i know that was just like a goof but it still like soured that level where everything was popping just right and then at the end someone kicked me in the nuts <laughs> is right. what it felt like um for me aside from the time travel level which i think was the best level in the game um the end Aside from the narrative problem I have with BT coming back, but the end fight where it's you and all of your other Titan buddies 
and uh, like the last big battle. And the way that that was able to make me feel like I am doing a one-on-one actual mech battle, like strategy, and I'm strafing around, but there are also like four other companion titans that are actually doing work and taking people out. Like for me, that was the first time since I think uh, Battletech that I played in Walnut Creek as a little kid and like the, you know, the VR pay $20 for 20 minutes. Like I felt like I was in the world doing this um, Titan battle in, in a chaotic battlefield and like yeah. battlefield one captures that feeling very well of like you're just in the in the crap and the mud and the yeah. muck and in, all this in the war right yeah. and all this crazy is going around you but the way that they were able to capture that with me being a four-story building i thought was just it was mind-blowing i was engaged against this other titan like playing a game of chess or chicken and then meanwhile over my shoulder a friendly rocket launches over and takes out a different little drone and i'm like okay you got me titanfall you got me yeah. No, I totally agree. I thought, you know, there there are so many games where you're supposed to be in a war, but you're the lone soldier and you're off on the side story and there's a war happening, but you never really see it because we can't really make a, you feel like you're in a giant war. So we'll just, you know, have you do your own thing. And kind of that's how this game is for a large portion of it. But then it pays off in such an awesome way in making you feel like, okay, You've earned your stripes. You're no longer a rifleman. You're a full-fledged pilot. You've got yourself a Titan. Now we're going to use you in the actual front of the war. So you're in it. And it, it the scale just ramps up. And you do feel like this one soldier in this massive army of Titans. And I, I went, you know what? If this was a if this fiction was real, like this is how this would feel. Right, this is, this exactly. is what this war would be like. You know, just titans everywhere and everybody, ugh, just awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So that you mentioned my and this is my biggest complaint narratively. The double death is my the second my biggest complaint narratively, and I think they could have pulled it off, and unfortunately, I don't think they did. Is I don't think you needed to be unknown riflemen. Like the the hero's journey, it it feel it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't pay off in the end. I wish I would have just been a badass pilot at the beginning. Like, why couldn't I have been Anderson or whatever his like the guy, the first guy who dies? Why did I need to be this guy? Like, you start the game literally in a training simulator, learning how to wall run. Like, you haven't even had your mobility pack on before. You're just a rifleman, and then you're. He's like, let's do some Titan training, and he's like, I don't know if I can. He's like afraid of doing Titan VR training. And then within the next game world, uh, 30 minutes, you're piloting a Titan and killing the thing that just, not I guess not, but like killing other Titans. And to me, I'm like, even Luke was a whiny kid for an entire movie, you know? <laughs> like, I don't think they paid off that hero's journey, and I don't think it was necessary to have you be this guy. Because I thought they were going to get to it later in the game when um, Sarah or whatever your commander is like, no, you're out of there. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I pictured them putting another pilot in, and then you need to come in and, you know, you earn your stripes. But then BT's like, no, he's good. We're good. And she's like, okay. I'm like, why am I this guy? Why? I totally disagree, dude. I, I loved that. I thought, like... Throughout the game, people are the enemies are always like, "You're no pilot. What did you just learn how to do this? You don't know what you're doing." You know, I but thought like you was... clearly do. You go into the the vaporizer, like the place where they've already lost three pilots, and you, I, you know, I did it on my first try, like pop, 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 easy. I don't, I don't know. I don't. Know. I I thought that was cool. I really liked that idea of 
of you know becoming the pilot and and that it kind of reinforces the fiction that these pilots are highly trained and awesome and not anybody can be a pilot and but, then but that, but anybody literally can well but you're special right you're the player you're you're special you you did it you well, then um, give me metachlorians or something like just <laughs> justify my specialness you're literally the only person that's ever argued for <laughs> metachlorians not in star uh, wars in titanfall <laughs> uh, i don't know i disagree i thought i thought that played really well and i i liked the fact that because you were able to bond with bt and in you know, then you sort of like they trust this robot to know that you're cool. Uh, I thought that was awesome. So that's uh, two questions for you. Uh, second one you can think about right now is I want to know your favorite moment or level from the game. And the, my first question to you, though, is how sentient is BT and how much why do you need to pilot him? Like to what I thought I wasn't sure, like to what extent does me piloting him make him better because there's that level where the, you're moving the the crane pieces around to create the walls to go get the um sorry i beat this like just the other day so i don't know the terms yet but you're getting the core or whatever yeah and you're you're and bt's down there just whooping butt and then like i get in him and we continue to whoop butt but like why do i ever need to play why do i ever need to man my titan well that's i think one of the cool things about titanfall as a fiction like they they i think they went to great pains to make on foot pilot combat as potent as yeah. in the Titan combat, right? They're, they're both viable options. It's not like, oh, I'm a little, you know, twig and then I become a tank. Uh, it's each one has, has advantages and disadvantages. And I think that's what's cool. It's like, well, in this world, you're amazing and you're awesome, but you're also, you don't have any armor on, you're vulnerable. So, it's probably a good idea to be inside this sentient thing that could be fine on its own. Like, you know, you could be outside of it and it can follow you around and cover you. That's fine too. It's all of it works. So I think it's more like giving the soldier options and saying, Hey, this is, you know, in a protective thing and you're awesome and you're able to pilot this cool dude. And clearly, you know, BT isn't, I mean, I guess he's, he is, you know, doing some of the awesome stuff that you do when you're inside him, but you're doing more awesome stuff when you're inside him than he's doing on his own. You know, Uh he's sort of just, standing around doing shooting stuff that level that i'm talking about when you go to get the core like i looked down at him and he was doing awesome stuff <laughs> he's like <laughs> meleeing whipping like spinning around and like shooting dudes point blank and then like stepping on grunts and i was like i kind of sat up there at the perch because i got up to a point where you collect one of the pilot helmets and like no guys were getting up to me and i was like i could just watch this <laughs> like he was down there wrecking fools yeah so favorite favorite level or favorite uh instance oh man I mean, the the time travel thing was really special and really cool. Um, I really loved that one you just referenced where you're trying to get to the satellite dish because the way that the level is designed, first of all, you start, you literally start that level on the ground in this awesome fog, which is really cool. And you have to like defend the, the front of that thing where these robots are like climbing the face of it and you have to shoot them off as that, you know, to defend the bad guys or the good guys. Um... And then, so you start at like base level in this really cool looking fog, and then you ascend to the top of this thing to get to that dish. And the level is laid out so broadly that it really gives you can go all over the place. And that was the one where I felt most like a ninja. Like, <laughs> I can go anywhere, do anything. I am liquid death. I can assault these guys. They don't know what's, what's coming. I, you know. I'm using all the, my traversal skills against them, my disappearing, all that stuff. I'm flanking them. I'm going on, you know, there's these wildly 
separated platforms that you, it gives you a lot of freedom as to how you take down that level. And also it has all that fun sort of traversal puzzle stuff that I dig. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, that was a real highlight too, but this game just kept one upping itself over and over and over again. I, I just thoroughly loved it. So then I need to ask least favorite and I have mine ready. If you need to think about yeah, it. How, tell me yours the viper fight when you're fighting viper and it's the he's the flying titan and you're on top of the plane when mm. that first loaded in i was like oh this is going to be epic and i i played the game on standard default difficulty and i died throughout the campaign but never because i felt like things were unfair or you know i was like up oh, didn't play my cards right and that viper fight i did maybe 8 times and like i feel like my shield didn't work to deflect his did you try different loadouts? Yeah, I did. I ended up going with the, your, the first loadout you start the game with is how I did the best against him. Me and, too. Same, same exact thing. I tried all the loadouts with him and, and ended up just liking the first loadout the best. Yeah, so I just like that fight for being like a penultimate um, kind of titan fight. And he was, I guess he's supposed to be a badass, but like I feel like my shield didn't work and I didn't quite understand why. And then I found it disorienting. He, he could fly faster and he's like, you got to be faster than that. He's like taunting me. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I know, um, but other like the set piece was great, but for whatever reason, the way I played it, it was that was the most frustrating part for me that left me like hoping there was going to be one more badass moment because if that was kind of the end, I would have been a little sad. Yeah, I've, I had some challenge with that fight too. I, I didn't get too frustrated, but my dis- biggest disappointment was that I thought when I defeated him, I was going to get the power of flight. Oh, I know, I like, right? I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be the Viper class. Yeah, and then no, you don't. You get that. Yeah, you could just have hover. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm hard pressed to come up with a least favorite part. I really dug it. I mean, I guess the the um, I don't know. I don't know what my least favorite part is. It was I really just had a blast playing it throughout. Could it be that it's not using Battlefield's one graphics engine? Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it I, looks great. It looks great, but it's not like sometimes I think they went for emotion on like close up of faces, and I was just like meh. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I'm so I guess spoiled. The part that was most frustrating to me was the very very end when you're in that like crazy void world where everything's broken. I died like eight times just because I made the wrong leap, and I was like, oh, I'm not really sure where I'm headed. Oh, oh that was wrong. Um, but oh, I mean, interesting. It was a minor annoyance, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, well, you sort of just take a leap of faith, and eh, I went the wrong way. Oh, well, I'm dead. That's yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that, because I thought, I just did it on my first try, and I'm not bragging. I thought that when you fell, they just caught you. Oh really? Because like I was oh, going yeah, towards... A couple of times it does that, yeah. I was As going a... towards, yeah, like BT will just, I was going towards the waypoint, uh, and like pop popped and then I like missed the thing and it was like we got you and I was like oh cool I thought it was kind of kind of be like a run till you die kind of thing no. no I died a bunch of times actually interesting all right anyway we both loved it um it's it, it people, more people should play it because I don't think it's doing very well but uh yeah that's it for this episode uh we'll see you next week thanks a lot <laughs>